then I see this googly eye guy and some VR thing. I'm like, mm, whatever. <laughs> the world is getting crazier. People are acting more and more insane. The end of the world is tomorrow. 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 See, there's only one thing to do when the world is falling apart. Listen to Basil and Gons as they discuss this week's news and events through the lens of Bible prophecy. You are listening to Canary Crime News Talk. You're listening to Canary Cry News Talk. Today is November 13th, 2023. We are live to tape on episode 688. And today, the Podfather. Signing on from off the grid, Razzle Dazzle. I'm your best buddy, Basil. And you are not crazy. And my name is Gons, director of the Age of Deceit Films, your favorite Asian provocateur for Christ, live to tape from California to bring you the best news which is the gospel message of Jesus Christ, while reporting the egregious with a well-rounded, biblically-grounded take on world events and today's emergent phenomena. Well, it's none other than the Adam Curry. There's, there's no mm-hmm. other emergent phenomenon to be mentioned, but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, thank you, Adam, for being here. Uh, we'll officially introduce you in a second, but we, we have to do these things at the top uh, just to... Make sure We're the slaves. owl goes. Yeah, we are, we are slaves to the system, and so uh, uh-huh. we are forced to uh, do things like disclaimers. God, yes, it's time to do the disclaimer. Let's go, bro. It's time for a disclaimer. Now listen up, YouTube. That's right. And just for all the content moderators and censorship managers out there, be they robots or humans, everything you hear on this show comes directly from the mainstream corporate news media. We do not claim to be experts on healthcare, geopolitics, military strategy, corporate law, or the moral and ethical implications of any of these topics, nor do we implicitly or explicitly support or subscribe to any sources or narratives containing misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation, as defined by the Department of Homeland Security. We're good boys. All right, YouTube, we're good, good boys. All right, Gons, and today, on such a day as this, I think that I will let you have the honor oh. of giving us the rundown. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I will not play the jingle because it introduces you, so we'll just jump, oh. jump right into it. This is episode 165 of Canary Cry Radio and... 688 of Canary Cry News Talk. I know it's very confusing. We, we, did, we did this to ourselves. Um, and maybe if we had the direction of our guest today, we might have not done that. But um, oh, yeah, I know. Well, just like how none of us would be here if it wasn't for God creating Adam and then subsequently Eve. It is true that this podcast would not exist without God creating Adam Curry, the proto sapien of podcasting. A pioneer in parsing politics, breaking down the philosophies behind the propaganda. Chat GPT said he was, quote, the symbol of cool for an entire generation glued <laughs> to their television screens. That's the 1980s, folks. Not only did he co-develop the value for value model, which is how this show is alive. He also co-developed the technological groundwork for the podcasting revolution we see today and still pressing forward with podcasting 2.0. And not only that, he can more than competently operate a flying machine, uh, perhaps Mm -hmm. one day with electromagnetic anti-gravity technology, but we'll ask him about that later. And he was just baptized. Hallelujah. Amen. And it has finally happened, Basil. The Podfather has graced us with his presence here in these tattered cages of the Canarium, Adam Curry, welcome to Canary Cry Radio News Talk, the whole deal. Hello, California. 
How are you doing? How you doing there in that horrible part of the country? Um, it's it's all right. There's no, there's a lot no, more. It's not. No, no, it's a, it's good. I I think we're exporting Newsom to the rest of the country. So I'm really looking forward hey, to man, how that plays San out. San Francisco's looking good again. It's nice and clean and it's beautiful. Yeah, the the, the side is working. Apocalyptic. See, thank you, Adam. It's about time that he hears that from somebody else. <laughs> he's he's sort of started tuning out. Uh, my calls for him to move out of California. So uh, let this be a lesson to you, Gans. Well, I, I will say the step one was convincing my parents. And of course, my parents being Asian parents, they expected me to be uh, a doctor. I mean, there was no other. It was either doctor or millionaire in some form or fashion. And uh, they're still waiting for the PhD. But I did receive my PhD for media deconstruction <laughs> yesterday. And I was very thankful for that. Uh, thank you to Paul G, who did that f on my behalf on the notes yeah, on the show. Yeah, that right. was the first one that was gifted. That was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, I like that. Very cool. And uh, I sent a screenshot to my by parents, the by the way, and they were they they immediately. Oh, what's this all about? Oh, is this is it, can you put that in your profile? I'm like, I can't actually. So you know, I got to <laughs> tell you, um, I got mine um, the other day in the mail, and I took a picture and tweeted it out. X that slashed it. I think we slash on X. Is that what we do? We don't tweet anymore. We slash oh. on X. And um, I, I, that's what I'll call it now. And I, I'd say 30% of the reaction, I got a lot of response. I mean, it was like 3,000 people liked it. I mean, that's pretty big for me. I have no blue check, even though I have 68,000 followers, I guess. Um, Classic. 30% went, wow, look at those teeth. <laughs> and there was definitely 30% that without really looking at it went, congratulations. That's so cool, man. I'm you know, wow, you must've worked really hard. People just see, oh, diploma. He's got his PhD. Good, good on you. They didn't even look at it. They just considered it was real. It was like some, I mean, it is real, but it's not a scholastic PhD. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very funny. My degree from college has Never even left the envelope uh, since they sent it to me. But this one, this one is going right in the middle of the trophy wall. Uh, yeah, folks, thanks to Paul G, who, by the way, will be getting knighted later on in this episode. Uh, he's been a longtime producer. So stick around for that, Paul G. Uh, but, uh, you know, the No Agenda show has been uh, obviously a big influence on this show. We started doing CCNT, Adam, in uh, 2016. It was just a 29-minute show once a week. Just It was literally just a practice in seeing if we could do something consistently. Uh, and then we started listening to No Agenda, really getting into No Agenda about 2017, like, oh, these guys are really doing it. They're doing the real thing. This is this is it. Uh, but it wasn't until 2020 that we finally had the guts to go sort of long form um, into the whole thing. Of course, uh, we are locked inside and the whole COVID thing. We had a lot to say. Uh, so, yes, indeed, there are people out there who send us very angry emails about how we copied no agenda and things like this. And we say, yes, we did. 
That's exactly what we did. And that's exactly what, uh, uh, you know, the, the value for value system came from. It's where the knightings came from. You know, you guys did it right. You nailed it in one. And uh, we hope you're flattered uh, that you were, you know, such an influence. I'm incredibly flattered. I, I love that. Uh, you know, John and I are... Look, I'm 59 now, so I'm I'm glad that uh, that uh, some younger dudes are picking it up. I, I figure you guys are in the 30 age range. Yeah, I, I just psychic too. I just hit 40, so you know. Just hit 40. I'm 40. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get into it, Adam. Uh, for those who might be watching this, maybe some of the old timers, we love our boomers around here. We love our Gen X and they're thinking, man, this guy looks so familiar. Who is this guy? <laughs> uh, will you give us a little bit of your background? Remind everybody why, why you are sort of ingrained into their brains? Well, yes, for the Xers, for the Xers and certainly for some boomers. I consider myself to be Gen X with boomer tendencies. I'm right on that uh, cusp of 1964, uh, though September. So I feel that, uh, that I do belong in the X category. Love it. Um, when I was 19, um, in the early, in the 1984, I was living in the Netherlands where I moved there with my parents when I was seven. And so I grew up there and, um, found myself after an illustrious pirate radio career on television all of a sudden doing a, a weekly television show called countdown um which was i mean that was a phenomenon by itself because it later was syndicated via early satellite to all of europe and in 1986 mtv us contacted me and said would you like to come and work for us uh, at mtv and I said, uh, yeah, sure. That sounds cool. Where? New York? Oh, yeah, definitely. So four months later, I was uh, in New York, in Manhattan, in the middle of uh, Hell's Kitchen in a, in a very bad time in New York's history. It was dirty and you could still easily get killed on Times Square. Uh, you couldn't you know, fall down and bounce back from the rubber tiles. Oh, the good old days. Oh, peep shows, you know, everything was great. Pimps, everything was awesome, and uh, which I used to I w used to walk across Times Square almost every Saturday night at midnight. My buddy did a show on Light FM, uh, WLTW Light FM, and we go over there and we smoke weed while he was on the air, and we just hang out. Um, so I'd walk across Times Square to get there, and it was a lot of interesting folks for sure. Um, and so that lasted uh, about seven years, I think. I was on the air at MTV. Um, and built up a, a, a radio career and left MTV in 90, was it late 93, maybe 94, uh, and started an internet company. Uh, but I would say for most at the time, this is when MTV just went from kind of a, I mean, cable was very different uh, in those days of just starting off. It wasn't seen as real television. Um, in fact, hmm. the industry laughed about it. <laughs> Who's ever going to advertise? It's not real television. That's not over the air. Um, and MTV went to basic cable um, and found themselves in, I think, 40 million households in the U.S., which meant a couple of things. One, it meant that you got cable, you got your MTV as a part of that. In fact, there was a very successful campaign that MTV did called uh, Call Up Your Cable Company, Say, I Want My MTV. Mm. Uh, and, and that worked very well for them. Uh, that also meant that you, there's a lot of stuff we couldn't do. So we had, uh, we had to 
be careful of what we said, couldn't be too, you know, off the wall. There was, you know, basically had to mind your language, um, which is why the, the show I'm probably most known for, Headbangers Ball, uh, came on Saturday night at midnight because that was after the, 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 uh, the watershed uh, hour, 10 o'clock. And at that point, you could show videos that might depict uh, women in scantily, scantily clad women or perhaps even some satanic uh, looking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now that I think back on it, although I would say pretty much everybody I met um, was far from satanic uh, and far from crazy. Most of them were very accomplished musicians, uh, very serious about their craft. You know, there, there was the, there were some who were in the drug-addled phase, but um, in general, it was a, it was a pretty good community. And so, because of just that moment in time before video became a commodity, MTV was it. You know, it was on people, it, teenagers in America had MTV on 24 hours a day if I, they could. You I know, remember. We went over to each other's houses to go and watch it. I remember I was 11 years old, and this is a very distinct memory for me. It was 1994. I was traveling to Maui for a, a swim competition thing. I was selected to represent Southern California. I'm out there, and my, my memory is just the hotel rooms, every single TV, MTV, and two songs, Soundgarden, Black Hole Sun, on Black repeat. Song. Yeah. Repeat, and Lisa Loeb. You say, I only hear what I want to. Everybody knew every single word because it was constantly on. And I, I would imagine, you know, looking back now, it was like, wow, they, they figured out something because it was, everybody knew those songs. Everybody had MTV on their TVs. So I, wow. Yeah. Interesting times. You're, you're bringing me back to my childhood, Adam. Well, so I was, I was probably not even there by the time you were really consciously watching. Sure, yeah, I probably yeah. left at that point. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, uh, continue. What uh, what what happened next? I know you ran into uh, uh, the Apple situation, getting podcasting off the ground. What? How? Oh, how did no, you no. get into all there's that? A, there's a lot. You're you're skipping over a lot. Okay. Guys. Okay. Okay. You're skipping over my most important history. All right. Let's do it. So, first of all, you have to understand that uh, radio didn't come naturally for me. I built my first transmitter when I was uh, like 13, I guess. Um, shoot, man, I wonder if I still have that. It was a, a Radio Shack 100 projects in one, mm. uh, and it had an FM transmitter. And hold on a second. Do you mind? Let me just see if I have No, go for it. No, go for it. I'll see, folks. Yes, this is the deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Nice. Okay. Oh. Didn't oh. even have to go digging around for it. No, it's just no, right I there. Forgot, I forgot that I have this. So here it is. The, Whoa. is it? Am I mirrored or can you see it properly? No, I could see it. We could see the I'm whole thing. Looking 101 good. electronic project kit. Wow. <laughs> and this is, I'm actually, this is a, no one, I've, ne I've not shown this to anybody. Oh my goodness. So it came with this huge project manual, right? Wow. And in the back somewhere was the uh, FM transmitter. I'd have, to, I'd have to look that one up. But here you can see the concept. So it has all these different electronic components. Here's your resistors. Here's your capacitors. Here's your variable capacitor. Here's your photonic cell. Here's your meter. Here's your relay. Um, here's a transformer, trans a couple of transistors, and actual inter one integrated circuit. Um, oops. And it has all these different uh, length wires. 
And so you follow the directions. They would say, well, these are little springs, these here, right? So they would say, connect a blue wire from uh, the plus side of C61 uh, to, you know, whatever, whatever the next part was in the circuit. And then once you did all that, if you were lucky, it hit your little batteries, then all these wires are falling out, um, then it would work. And so that's how I learned to make my first um, FM radio transmitter. Oh my gosh, wow. that's incredible. Where did that, where did that go? Why didn't I get this thing? <laughs> we're getting the, the this history way, of the history dude, here. Dude, look at the two dudes here who are the examples. <laughs> this that's Spock you haircut. look like that. That's how I looked. <laughs> yeah, you got your smart haircut. You got, oh, look at what we're doing some cool stuff here. Yeah, we're experimenting after school. Look at those, look at those collars. Look at a collar there. It kind of reminds me of uh, respectable young men. Yes. <laughs> Little like, did we know that they would go on to uh, start major tech companies and take over the world. Possibly. Uh, you know, and that's, I mean, I also, that's how I got into my first computers um, with the Sinclair ZX80. I don't have that anymore, unfortunately. Uh, hold on. Uh, just, uh, He's going, going back to the treasure chest. <laughs> it's, it is a treasure chest. It is a treasure chest. And the headphones um, stay on. So, that, so that's how I started. And then, you know, I learned quickly that the antenna is kind of your friend. So I learned uh, uh, how antennas work, uh, wavelengths. And uh, I would um, uh, broadcast. I got a, uh, a record player and I used that as the input. And I'd uh, string up, you know, a, a dipole antenna. And uh, my mom, actually, bless her, rest her soul. Um, she would drive around the neighborhood with me in the car to see how far my signal reached. And wow. then uh, I came, you know, I'd come back and there were some kids there. And you have to understand the Netherlands had no radio. It had all government controlled airwaves. It had four stations. Uh, it had one, two, three, and four. They were named that way. <laughs> one was, um, I think one was news talk. Two was maybe easy listening. Three was the pop station, which came on at 7 a.m. and went off at 11 p.m. and played polka music. And then <laughs> four was the classical, which, of course, had the best signal. Um, so, you know, and, I, and my, my, my parents had records and stuff around, and so I just put some on. And anyway, so the kids were listening, and so I got another uh, record player. I don't know where I got it from uh, and built my own mixer and got a microphone eventually and started just doing kind of like little radio shows. And I remember very well that I sounded horrible. It's like, oh, my voices. If you, you ever hear your voice for the first time. Oh, yeah. It's a, a nightmare. Yeah. I would practice that. for hours and hours and hours. And I would listen to Wolfman Jack from Radio Luxembourg on long. Was it? I think it was on shortwave, long wave. Uh, so I have, I had all kinds of radios to listen to stuff. So it's always been technology and radio at the same time. So television was actually, um, just a fluke how that happened. But I, I grew up in the pirate radio scene in, uh, in Amsterdam and built a little, um, persona called John Holden because <laughs> I didn't sound good in Dutch. My Dutch wasn't all that great. Wasn't my, my native language. Uh, but being, uh, John Holden, the 24-year-old black guy who drove a Harley in Amsterdam, <laughs> made a lot of sense. <laughs> and I didn't, and by the way, that was not me misgendering. People just heard me and said, oh, you're the black guy on decibel radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. 96.2. 
Um, and um, and so from there, I I got into the the official Dutch broadcasting system. And at that point, it was it was actually it's a, I mean it's a long story how that system works, but uh, basically the airtime is uh, and to this day still is chopped up amongst organizations to, based upon how many members you have. And the membership is, it has to be at least $10, uh, 10 euros. Well, then it was 10 guilders, 10 euros um, a month, I think you had to pay. And so the, the, mo- the biggest organizations were all religious. So we had the Roman Catholics, you had the evangelicals, um, and, and, and their programming was uh, akin to that. And then you had these guys who were the OG pirates on the North Sea in the pirate radio days, and that's the 70s. Radio Veronica, Radio Caroline, Radio Mi Amigo, they were in international waters and they were broadcasting to the UK, to France, to uh, the Netherlands, the mainland. And these Dutch guys from Radio Veronica, they had such such popularity that they got hundreds of thousands of people to send them, uh, you know, 10 bucks a month. And uh, and so they were uh, able to get airtime and they got, I think... One day they got Fridays on the pop station and they also had television all of a sudden. And so they had to do something. So they just did music on television. And that's the show that I wound up uh, hosting. Uh, And so that's incredible. (laughs) I mean, the pirate radio stuff is absolutely incredible. It's always fun to hear podcasters and broadcasters and, you know, almost inevitably it's like, oh, I would sit with a tape recorder and record little radio shows. I mean, that was, looking back, that was sort of built into my childhood. Never did I think that the technology would come to a place to allow me to actually do it professionally. Uh, But, I mean, you're talking about going going back to the stone age and building your own transmitters. It's, it's, it's so much fun hearing those stories. Well, so in 1987, when I was at MTV and I had already been introduced to computers and modems, I actually built my first modem back in the day, kids, before it just came out of the air, you had to get your phone and you had to put it into, I have one of those too somewhere. You had to put your phone into a cradle and, you know, and that way you could uh, communicate with other computers, very slow speed, <clears throat> 75. Was this normal day. to build? Like, was this the normal way to get into these things was to build them or were you oh, building the, them while other people were buying Oh yeah, you had to build everything. I had a bulletin board system. So you had, you know, I, only, I had two phone lines so you could dial in with your computer. You could browse messages. Um, then you'd log out. Someone else could dial in. You know, our, you know, you, your computer would be continuously redialing to see if there was a spot open on the bulletin board system. There was something called FidoNet. I mean, we didn't have email when I was a kid. We didn't have email. <laughs> we had FidoNet. We liked it. So, so, so I would address a message to you on FidoNet. I'd upload it to either my bulletin board or another one. And then overnight, these bulletin boards would forward messages to each other. And so that by by the next morning, with a little bit of luck, you would log into your local bulletin board with a local phone call. Of course, we had to have local phone calls because it was, you know, long distance was very expensive. And then you would see that message from me and you'd reply and it would probably take a day for it to get to me. That's that's early, early messaging, how that worked. Um, and we're spoiled. Uh, so we're oh, spoiled yeah. is what I'm learning right now. <laughs> Oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> That's uh, but, so interesting. But I, I was enthralled by this. I loved it. The, you know, uh, the way 
we loaded computer programs back in the day was on audio cassettes. And it sounded very much like if you've ever had a dial-up modem, you know, all these bits and bytes uh, just recorded. Yeah. Um, and the BBC, they even had their own computer called the Acorn. I think it was the Acorn or BBC computer. Um, but they also did it for the Commodore, which I had later. And they would broadcast for three minutes a program. And so on the FM, you'd hear for three minutes. And, and now the BBC will broadcast this new uh, program, which is a word processor. And you record that on your cassette. You put that cassette, you put it in, you connect it to your computer and it would read it in. What? It was usually basic. That was usually, it was a basic program, the basic oh language. I didn't realize they um, did that. And, you know, and so that's how, that was a great way of master's distribution of software. It was phenomenal. Wow. Um, so I kind of grew up in that age. Gaming came along and I, I tried gaming and went, oh, no, no. I remember distinctly, I'm putting this away because I, I will become addicted and I'll never do anything else but gaming. <laughs> uh, and I, never, I was never into gaming. But uh, in 87, Smart when I was kid. in New York, I bought a Mac Plus. This was the, the new hot computer of the time um, with a 20 megabyte external SCSI drive. <laughs> SCSI being SCSI, look it up. It's a connector. It's about this thick with a huge cable. And you connected that on one end to the Mac and the other end to this big 20 megabytes, not gigabytes, megabytes, you know, this big, huge drive. And I had a modem. Um, and, and at that point there was America online and CompuServe and there were computer services you could dial into. And I, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm really going to get wired. I want to be, um, I want to have the latest news when I'm doing stuff on MTV. I want to be far ahead of everybody. And technically I was MTV at the time had a Wang computer system. And the way the Wang worked is the scripts would be written. I didn't really use scripts, but at least you had, you know, uh, bullet points of what video was next, or if you're tossing to a commercial and the producers would, uh, write these scripts in the Wang at 1775 Broadway, they'd put them on the Wang system so they could be printed out at the studio, which was, um, kind of near the, near the river and in a dingy neighborhood. And then these, these pieces of paper would be printed out and then put on a conveyor belt with a camera above it. And there was an operator who would vary the speed of this conveyor belt. And that was a teleprompter. This is way before teleprompters were just computers hooked up to a, to a monitor. So mm. it, was, it was literally a piece of paper with big, big type on it. And it would roll underneath this camera. <laughs> and that's what I was looking at in the, in the camera. So that was wow. early teleprompter. When I was a kid, green screen was blue screen. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's what I love about you? <laughs> If if you'll uh, if you'll forgive me and allow me uh, to say one thing, I find sort of an enigma about Adam Curry is this incredible, almost impossible mixture between cool culture, coolness. I mean, the MTV stuff, the the music, the music videos, the the, the hair was just like the epitome of cool in its time, and then at the same time. You're like this mad scientist getting into uh, obscure, strange technologies and sort of like building it yourself. It's a, you're you're a complicated fella. You're more than just a, a pretty face, Adam. Oh well, thank you. Although I, you're, she she laying down. Oh, 
Um, yes, thank you. I am more than just a pretty mm. face. My wife <laughs> agrees. She's <laughs> la- she just let the dog in. The dog wanted to be in the studio. Was barking like, I want to be in this. Is she laying on her bed? Yeah. Oh, good. She, she has a new bed. Um, Cute. I've always considered myself a nerd. I was very awkward. You know, I've always had kind of Tourette's tics, which was very difficult on television. I really had to concentrate. Uh, luckily, the MTV segments were were short. Um, I actually my that was just uncool. I was super uncool nerd loser until at, and this was when I was in high school until someone had connected the dots and said, wait a minute, you are John Holden on decibel radio. That's you. And overnight I became cool. Hmm. Uh, It's a good way to do it, which was, it was quite interesting, but I also, I have, I've never forgotten where I came from. And so, um, but anyway. Yeah. And it was sort of that obsession, that technology obsession that makes the, your role in podcasting make so much sense. So we'll move forward and we'll get to the podcasting part. Uh, so MTV was a whirlwind. I mean, I've, I've met every and interviewed or hung out with almost every massive artist you can think of of the 80s and the early 90s. Um, just fantastic. I, it was a great time. And all the while I was at home on the internet um, because I had that, you know, I started with 87 with the back plus with the, with the, um, the external SCSI drive. And I'd heard about this thing called the internet. People were telling me on CompuServe, oh yeah, you need to be on the internet. It's really hard to get on, but that's where all the cool kids are. So I figured out how to get on, which at the time consisted of dialing into a provider. Then you had to start up a PPP or slip connection, which then reversed into your TCP IP stack, which you had to have on your computer. And then you could basically get a terminal, a text-based terminal. And they had email, which was phenomenal. So, and that was the, you know, it was internet email. It, it was, it was email. And my first email address was curryco at panics.net. Panics was the, uh, P-A-N-I-X was the provider in, uh, in, uh, in New York. And we had uh, things like Usenet, which was all, you know, news groups. And it was you know, kind of like a bulletin board, same thing, store and forward overnight. So you'd post something and then in the morning you go in and you could check all the replies that had come in. It was not real time. Uh, and the thing that really caught my eye was this protocol called Gopher. And it was developed by the, Minnesota, the University of Minnesota. And Gopher gave you, um, you start with a menu and then you could you know, with your arrow keys or typing on a a number, you could select something from the menu and it would connect you to another computer somewhere else. And so you had, you know, like um, you had, you know, you could, you could connect to different computers at different universities. Basically they're the only, the only places that had uh, internet connectivity. Um, And so that's where the, that's where the, my audience was, they were literally at universities watching MTV, which at the time, by the way, MTV um, ratings, they didn't count ratings in universities. So I was getting, I was inter- interacting with my actual audience at universities who were watching MTV and they had very different ideas of what, what they thought the number one video should be. But it was this gopher thing that was hypertext. So you'd link from one to the other. And I just found it fascinating that, you know, by clicking on a, on a, on a menu item, it, you could see it like brr, connecting and then, oh, and then and it'd give me another screen and another menu. And ultimately, a menu would bring you to another menu and there might be a Word document or ASCII art or something. 
Um, and and I, would, I just love this idea. And I bumped into some guys um, also online who were in Virginia. They were in a, they had a little office above a Chinese restaurant called Digex. And uh, they said, well, why don't you, um, why don't you set up your own server? Uh, and then you can have your own gopher server. I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, and, uh, and so they got me a headless sun three and they said, well, you need a domain name. I said, uh, how about mtv.com? Okay. At that time, you literally sent a guy who maintained a, a list. You, you sent him an email, said, I'd like to register mtv.com. And he said, okay. And he just sent it back. There was no cost or anything. Just, and I registered a whole bunch of stuff. Oh my I registered curry.com, elvis.com. <laughs> I registered all kinds of cool stuff. Um, so I had mtv.com and I, and I was, I learned Unix. Um, and I set up uh, the Gopher D daemon. Um, and I set up mtv.com and I was publishing stuff on that, that I picked up, you know, little, just little screens of articles of stuff. And what was cool is I was, I was promoting that. And I had Adam at mtv.com. You could email me Adam at mtv.com. The MTV uh, came to me and said, what are you doing with this thing? I said, well, it's just a little hobby. I'm just communicating and communicating with the, with kids at universities. And I said, oh, that's okay. We don't really care about the internet. We have the AOL keyword. I'm like, okay, (laughs) you're good to go there. Um, But then uh, I got a, an email from the university of Minnesota. They said, you can't use our gopher server. It's commercial use. You need to play, pay a commercial license, $5,000. Dude, I'm just messing around. This is not MTV proper. This is just me. I really don't have $5,000. And we came to an agreement that as long if I wore the um, the gopher T-shirt on MTV once, and you can still find it on YouTube, <laughs> then oh they would gosh. waive the license for the gopher shirt. <laughs> oh my so gosh. that carried on. So, but to me, this was broadcasting. This was pirate stuff. You know, it wasn't audio or video, but it was still broadcasting. And I that's I'm a broadcaster, and I love the technology angle of it. Then I got an email from this guy who was at. Um, University of Champagne, Champaign, Illinois, uh, called Mark Andreessen. And mm, he said, yeah. dude, we've got this, uh, we've got this thing called a browser. It's called Mosaic. And it, it's perfect for you to um, set up uh, an HTTPD server uh, on MTV.com. And so he, he sent me to the source and I, uh, you know, uh, unpacked it and, you know, comp- compiled it, installed it. I, I could do that. Um, and I set up MTV.com. And, you know, that just started off a, a whole new layer because now it was graphical and now Gopher all of a sudden came alive with links and we had flashing text because we had the, the blink tag and we had the uh, red ball dot GIF, you know, little, <laughs> little menu items, all these great things. He's like, this is, this is so cool. And then at home I had a 56K relay, so it wasn't, um, it wasn't fast. It was about as fast as the fastest modem, but you didn't have to dial in. It was a dedicated connection. Um, and a guy I met over the internet who was at Sun Microsystems in uh, San Francisco, he said, check this out, bro. And he streamed me a song. I, I, I wish I remember what song it was, but he streamed me a song and a player popped up on my, on my screen and it started playing and it was choppy, but it, and I'm like, oh my God, this is broadcasting. And from that mm, moment on, mm. I'm like, this is broadcasting. It's not there yet. It's gonna, I've already seen how fast this is going. I need to be here. And I quit MTV. Mm. I, I, wow. I left, which they didn't like. Uh, of course, I quit on the air, which wasn't really nice. 
Um, <laughs> they immediately sued me for the domain <laughs> name, which if they just asked me, I would have given it. So I countersued them. Uh, and I started my first company called OnRamp. And, um, and that company, I really didn't know what I was going to do, but I, I did it with my radio syndicators, Media America, Ron Hartenbaum, Gary Schoenfeld, the best Jews in the business. They taught me a lot about business. And we also took off Fridays really early. So I dug those guys um, and they really, but they really taught me about business, like selling ads and doing all this stuff. Um, and, and the radio stuff was pretty successful. It was a syndicated show. Uh, um, and um, I met an, so I had one employee, Brad Serling from, uh, he came from um, Cornell, I think. And we had a couple of ISDN lines and we were just trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to do here? And then I met a guy named Ron Bloom, who was this, uh, he was a guitar player from Atlanta, had been in LA, he'd, you know, had produced some records, um, and, you know, a Jewish boy from Atlanta, which was kind of funny. Um, he was like, Shalom y'all. And, uh, but he, he was, he really, he had, he, he was able to commercialize the stuff that I was seeing. And we did that by going, he had contacts in the music business. So we went to NARIS, the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences in 96, I think, 95. And we talked to Mike Green, he's long gone. They do the Grammys. And um, so we want to cybercast the Grammys. What's a cybercast? Well, you know, we're going to have pictures and we're going to have a website. And at the time there was this thing called CUC Me, which was a video conferencing system about one frame a second, black and white. It was very, very, very low tech, but we could actually send that or update, you know, dynamically updating pictures. So it kind of gave a, uh, an idea of being live. But the point was we would have people at the Grammys backstage, taking pictures, reporting, writing posts. We didn't have blogs then. So it would just be update a page. We'd have some jerky video and they said, okay, we'll give you the license. That'll be $5 million. We said, we have $0. <laughs> okay. uh, we'll give you the license and you can sell ads. You have to give us 30% of the ads, but you can't go to our existing um, advertisers. So um, the, we've. You're talking about, you're talking about like a proto version of a media company of which there are thousands now. Like this is, this is the and the ancestor, the first squiggling uh, tadpole that has turned into the sort of uh, amphibious monster that is now media companies. Uh, but that's, this is incredible history. And this is not much discussed because people usually skip from MTV to podcasting. Mm. Um, yeah, right. And there's more to the story if you want to hear it. Oh, 100%. <laughs> You fell right into that one. Sure did. Sure did. I mean, yep. we, we got, we got questions, but the, the, I mean, documenting, doc, documenting this history is like, I mean, this is a pretty big deal for us. This is our, this is the history that has made our lives even possible. Uh, much less, you know, the lives of listeners and stuff like that too. So uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. We're into it. So um, we sell a sponsorship to Visa Card and Casio. And Casio was important because they had the first digital camera where you could, you know, take a picture, take it out uh, on a you know, big card, stick the card into a reader, and then read it into your computer. I th we think we had laptops. And then you could, uh, you know, crop the photo, make it, um, you know, size it way down so it would load fast enough. And, um, and we did. So we had that cybercast. And, 
you know, we brought a T1 line into the Shrine Auditorium, which uh, was one megabit per second. You know, so that was a big deal at the time. Wow, these guys are bringing in the internet. Um, and uh, and so th- that was very successful. And we had a team of eight and we were all in L.A. And it was, it was just a great time. And uh, everybody was happy. <clears throat> you know, the advertisers, the sponsors, they used it to promote how hip they were. And so we thought, wow, this is it. Stuff's going to happen. And the phone just kind of stayed quiet. <laughs> for a couple of weeks, nothing's happening. You're like, what are you going to do? And then the phone rings and I pick up and says, yes, this is uh, uh, Robert McCauley from Anheuser-Busch. Can I talk to someone in sales? Oh, sure, Mr. McCauley. Hold on. Put my other hat on. Hi, this is sales. <laughs> <laughs> your voice and, a little uh, bit. And, and Bob uh, was, uh, he ran marketing for Anheuser-Busch. And he said, uh, we want to be on the internet. We're not quite sure what that means. Uh, uh, I saw, I saw your, your Grammy stuff. We want to be there. Can you come to St. Louis? We want to talk to you about it. And so that wound up being a very a great relationship. Uh, so I built Budweiser.com, BudLight.com. Um, we came up with, I mean, it's just, it's a content rich company. Forget it. You know, just, you know, we had the Brewmeister, you know, we, we knew, we learned a lot about beer. We learned a lot about corporate America, but they have sports and they have all kinds of uh, intellectual property that we could use the rights to. We would do on location stuff at, you know, drag races. Um, it was, it, it was incredibly fun. In fact, um, one of the, the fun things was we were always looking for how can we make something really interactive? And we, well, the first thing we just wanted to have Budweiser.com on their bottles and, and cans. And I remember, um, uh, um, Anheuser-Busch the third, I think it was the third. Yeah. Uh, his name, his nickname grinder. And he's like, there's never going to be a, see this can, this logo, there's never going to be anything else on this ever. And no, this is holy ground. So oh, geez. And uh, little now, did he know what was well, coming. Yeah, so you know where I'm going with that. Um, so we did have, and eventually, you know, other um, uh, drink manufacturers started putting their URLs on cans and on television. So, of course, Anheuser-Busch came around. But what was cool is we had learned from the manufacturing process that this barcode on every can and bottle uh, actually showed you down to the quarter hour when this. Uh, when that bottle or beer uh, or a can came off the off the the line, and so we put a little widget on the website at Budweiser.com, which was uh, find out what when your born your beer was born. So that became the born on date. To this day, still on every can and bottle of Budweiser. Mm. To this day, wow. your born on date. So mm. it was that kind of stuff, and you know from that, of course. Then we got Reeboks. We built planetreebok.com. We did the first online ticketing with Continental Airlines. We built tampax.com, the website you visit more than once a month. I mean, we had just all kinds of big consumer uh, companies. And then all of a sudden we got a call from uh, John Wren, the CEO of Omnicom. There's really two or three really big advertising conglomerates, uh, publicists, um, Omnicom, they all, you know, they, they own all the, <clears throat> all the agencies, um, WPP. And, uh, and so John Wren, big guy and, you know, the huge guy in the advertising business. And he says, Hey, you're already talking to our clients and uh, we want to buy you. At the same time, there was this guy out in Los Angeles who had a group called the Magnet Group. And they, and he was, he was really a traditional advertising agency. And he said, you know, why don't we 
combine our companies and then we'll buy up, you know, a couple more and we'll take it public. And so Ron Bloom and I, we were like, well, this is cool. We have two opportunities. We can sell or we can do something that who would ever think that these two dudes would take a company public. So screw it, we'll go public. And we did, we took it public on NASDAQ and that was a whole ride by itself. I mean, just running a publicly list. And this was before the big dot-com boom. So we didn't become billionaires or anything like, we're no Mark Cubans, but we, we, we had the same kind of basic experience. It was really interesting to um, just to learn how that's how that world worked. And it's very corrupt and very dishonest. Um, so around 2000, uh, my then wife, uh, who was Dutch, she wanted to move back to be closer to her parents. And so we decided to pick up and move back to Amsterdam. And that was, and so I was flush with cash and, you know, I'm like, yeah, let's set up another company. Let's buy a helicopter. Let's buy a castle. So I was doing spend Woo! the money. That was great. <laughs> uh, I the know Dutch dream. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just spent all kinds of money. Um, and there's, there's lots of history there, but at a certain point, um, I, well, actually it was pretty quick in 2000, I met Dave Weiner and he was, um, doing weblogs and he really invented weblogs and he had, um, software called radio user land. And I got it right away because you could basically broadcast this, you know, your posts and the radio user land was RSS based. So it had um, a receiving end. You could subscribe to someone's content. So I saw that as a, a you know, basically what it, it said it on the box, radio user land, only it wasn't audio. I said, well, why don't, why don't you do like an attachment so I can put an audio file there. And then, you know, in the morning when we're still thinking, cause you know, bandwidth was still not there. Um, when I, when I, come in in the morning and my computer's been worrying all night. It's downloaded, you know, whatever, actually I think it was video we were looking at, whatever you've sent me overnight. And that went on for a couple of years. The, the pure technology of RSS with enclosures had existed for a couple of years until 2003, a friend of mine shows me the iPod and it clicks right away. Like, oh, that's not an iPod. That's a radio. And it looks just like the old transistor radio, the Sony, it's a little square thing that my grandmother would give me when I was seven years, seven years old. And it was just AM, but I would listen to basketball games under my pillow. And I just saw it as a radio right away, not a digital Walkman or a jukebox. And um, so I went about trying to figure out how I could connect this RSS thing to the iPod. Struggled. Um, a guy named Kevin Marks, um, in, uh, I don't know if he was working for Apple at that time, but he, he basically sent me a, a correct version <laughs> of Apple script. And so then I started publishing MP3s and, and I said, I look, we need to have this working big and we need programs. We didn't have apps at the time. We had, we didn't have phones. Um, you know, we needed to work for not just the iPod for, for ever, for other MP, MP3 players. And I'm going to drive this uh, by by creating content every day so that you have something to develop against. So you have an RSS feed <coughs> with a regular show <coughs> that would show up every day. I called it the daily source code because, you know, developers source code. Um, and I would talk about what they were doing. And we, you know, we figured out lots of early, which now seems very logical, but early stuff. Like when you subscribe to a feed, don't download all the 50 shows that came before it. Certainly not if you're on dial-up, you know, all these things right. that we learned. And so we had uh, iPod or Lemon and 
iPod or X and all kinds of different um, programs that came along. And this kind of caught storm. Um, it was it, the original people who really got it were um, what I call Godcasters, religious guys. Like, oh, oh, oh this yeah. is cool. I can distribute this. You know, I don't have to you know, get time on the cable channel or buy radio time. So they got it. Uh, NPR, BBC, they would interview me. It's funny, on, on the media, I just did a whole history of podcasting. They kind of cut Dave Weiner and Adam Curry out even though they interviewed me at the time. <laughs> they interviewed no, you and they course. still didn't include your part of the story? No, they, they, they literally cut out two years of the story. It doesn't matter. Oh my matter. gosh. You know, it's, it's interesting about the Godcaster thing because uh, at least by the time, when I was in high school, I had a friend who was making a podcast who was doing like a music show and he tried to show it to me on iTunes and nobody really got it. I didn't really understand. But it wasn't until we were in college that I kind of got the the possibilities that, that podcasts were, you know, represented. And a lot of it was Godcasters because... You know, this idea, people trying to become broadcasters, the idea was, I want to get on radio, I want to get, a, I want to get on TV. That's, that's what the goal is. But the Godcasters, you know, it was really this uh, exclusion of sort of the gatekeeping for getting a message out there. And yeah, you know, religious people, Godcasters who didn't have money and even if they had money would have a hard time getting past the gatekeepers who are trying to run a business and sell advertising and stuff like that. I mean, there's always been local radio stations with uh, that religious broadcasters have uh, used and taken advantage of that technology. But podcasting really sort of at its core was a way to equip those who the gatekeepers would never let through. I mean, it's really revolutionary in its sort of philosophical ideas. Well, they got it right away. They exactly, as you said, and now I understand much better in my own faith journey. I'm like, oh, I see why I see you want to get the word of God out. Yeah, that's not that easy if uh, if, you know, in in the traditional media system. So right. uh, um, that just went really fast. And then uh, it really exploded when Steve Jobs called and said, hey, you know, you got a minute to talk. And I looked at my calendar and said, maybe I can do Tuesday. Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which Big was time. by itself was just a phenomenal meeting. Um, and then he put it into iTunes and, you know, there's that history I think is, is pretty well known, but what for me now is, is important is that three years ago, I saw what that very same Apple was doing. Um, and you know, Steve, Steve Jobs, he, he set it up right. You know, he said, look, he said, he, in fact, when he said, Hey, Adam, I want to make radios for you you've got the system. I want every iPod to be a radio receiver and I want to do that. Is that okay with you? <laughs> yeah. uh, and they were good stewards, even though of course they promoted, you know, the NPR, the mainstream, the BBC, the PBS, you know, all the, the hoity toity good stuff up front. It was every, everybody was welcome. Everything was in there until they weren't. And this is after Steve passed. And you know, Apple in coordination, I might add with Facebook and Twitter and, and I have to kind of back up and say that 
Apple was so good in being a steward of podcasts and they allowed any independent app developer to use their database um, as an index because it's okay if you have a hundred podcasts, you know, but then when you have several million to search through it, uh, to aggregate all those feeds and to really have an overview so you can quickly find and subscribe or follow to a podcast, you need some central, at the time you certainly needed some centralized system we still have that, but that centralized system was Apple. So when Apple decided to deep in collusion, in literal collusion with other Silicon Valley companies to deplatform Alex Jones and, the, and this is before, you know, any lawsuits or anything, the X-22 report, uh, it, it, innocuous stuff. It doesn't really matter what it was because it's like, oh, you're going to take that off? Well, you'll take anything off then that doesn't suit right. you. And that's when I called my buddy, uh, Dave Jones, who I'd known for about 10, 11 years. And we've been, we've been building, tinkering with RSS and aggregation and publishing tools for a decade. And, you know, we'd only met really once, I think, but you know, we, we had a good time. And I, from time to time, I called and said, Dave, I got an idea. I got an idea. Let's try this. Okay. And he would always go, okay. And, you know, and, and he built it and we, we'd iterate on it and nothing really came out of it that, well, stuff we use ourselves. And so I called him. I said, Dave, 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 we've got to build our own index uh, because, and we have to make it available to all uh, software developers. And we do a podcast just like I started with, you know, the first time around and we're going to involve the, you know, the developers so that these independent app developers can actually develop and, and we'll add features that weren't there before. And he went, okay. And so, you know, we started building that. Um, and it was like we uncorked, a, you know, this, this fine champagne bottle of creativity because Apple never really wanted, you know, it, when you have podcasting, you want to add a new feature like a transcript. You can publish a transcript we also have to have, you know, the main database ingest it and make it available. And Apple had no interest or never put resources against that. And so now all of a sudden we did that. And like all these people showed up. Yeah, I want this in it. How about chapters? How about location, person tag, all these different things. Then so we just started developing that with, with all of these, what I call the band of gypsies. Sorry, gypsies have given me permission to use their name. Um, <laughs> Actual gypsies, um, they say, yeah, you're right. I and mean, it's, like, it's like a band of musicians, you know, a guy shows up with a banjo, someone's got a washboard, someone's playing spoons, you know, there's a guy with a theremin, and, and we have one or two women, thank God, who, who because I find that to be uh, beneficial. Uh, mm -hmm. for, and it's not just developers, it's podcasters, it's uh, content, you know, producers, uh, listeners, just people who are interested. Um, and it's, and now we've been doing this for three years and we have hundreds of thousands of podcasts using these new features. And we have 15 at where well, we have over 65 apps and services, but you can today, you know, access 16 different apps, some of them well-known like antenna pod and podcast guru and podcast addict and podverse and some newer ones like, um, Castomatic, um, fountain, um, pod fans, um, curio caster that, that, that access all these features, including, you know, the other thing, which is the value for value, uh, streaming payments and the boostergrams, which was something that just came in pretty much at the beginning. Cause I figured if, if you can deplatform 
a podcast, you're going to deplatform someone's money. And we just can't rely right. for myself too. Like, you know, how long will PayPal put up with stuff? Um, and Bitcoin was the, was the obvious way to go because it had this lightning network, which in essence lets you program money. And so you can make programmatic money. There's no person in the middle. It goes direct from your app, which is a wallet to the podcaster. You know, this is a beautiful system. And, um, I think there's about 16,000 podcasts that now have value for value, uh, lightning network value for value enabled feeds. Wow. I, I think it's so interesting. I mean, for those who are listening, we know you usually don't get a history lesson on this show, and that's probably too bad. But what you're hearing is the history and now the future of probably your entire mindset about what's going on in the world. If it weren't for the simple existence of podcasts and the involvement of Adam and all those who are involved, the idea that a mass population would all start to agree the idea of media legacy news uh you know government propaganda messaging f to have as many people be where they are right now is directly related to this technological uh improvement on broadcasting and going around gatekeepers so it's not just a history of uh you know adam curry playing around with computers as a kid, you're literally hearing the history of the worldview that you now share with so many people. Even when Gans and I started podcasting back in 2012, we had this idea that, oh, we will try to let people know the fringy stuff. You know, we'll look at aliens with a biblical worldview, or we'll look at giants or Nephilim or technology <laughs> or robots. <laughs> yeah, you know, all the, oh, Trust me, Adam, we'll get to Nephilim. We'll get to the Nephilim. Uh, you know, all these things. And it was just us being weird, fringy people on the internet. You look around now, there's huge portions of our the country and even the world who are on, now turned on to these topics. And it's literally directly related to the existence of podcasts. If it didn't exist, we would all still be listening to the legacy news media and the idea of questioning any narrative or any story would just be blasphemy. <laughs> and so, you know, you talk about uh, learning your history, the history of this country, the history of democracy, the history of whatever. The history of podcasting is maybe the most important turning point in giving the power of broadcast to people who are not uh, gatekept. I mean, you can talk about controlled, you can talk about uh, all these types of things, but at the very least, gatekept to speak to, you know, a mass amount of people. And you might say, oh, but YouTube, oh, but Twix, oh, but these things. Twix. Yeah. Twix. <laughs> well, <laughs> Good stuff. But YouTube, you know, you know, we've been, we've had three channels now canceled from YouTube. Yeah, we've yeah. lost over a quarter million followers because yeah. YouTube decided we weren't worth listening to. And, or maybe we were too worth listening to, whatever way you think about it. And still podcasting is what persists. The classic RSS feed, you know, we we get a little cranky about the idea of people thinking YouTube shows are podcasts. And look, I'm, I'm tired of fighting that battle. Podcasts are podcasts. It's an RSS feed. It's a 
gatekeeper well, if I can interject for a second. Please, please. There's, there's an important part of this story that cannot be overlooked, and that is the hundreds, more than a thousand independent hosting companies. These are small, mm. most are small companies um, who may service 10, 20, 30,000 customers. And it's because of that. I mean, we, we recently did an analysis. Um, feeds come from about 2,000 places. Mm-hmm. So at podcastindex.org, we you know, have all the podcasts, you know, even the ones that Apple and, and Spotify and all those guys don't have. And it's because of that distributed nature and the fact that I host my own feeds on my own server, because there's no one place to go and shut it down, which Spotify right. tried. They spent a billion dollars. They bought an entire hosting company, which turned into trash. It was already kind of trash, but they made it even trashier. They tried to control it. They tried to uh, be the owners of podcasting. Mm-hmm. And they literally spent a billion dollars and have nothing to show for it. They have nothing <laughs> to show for it. They could, and I told them that would happen. And, and so they lost their ass. They could not make it work. And so now they're, you know, they're punting or whatever they're doing. It is indestructible. In a way, RSS and Bitcoin go hand in hand. And, mm. and, and big props to Dave Weiner for seeing the power of RSS, for protecting it. He really protected that, didn't let it expand because there were competing formats. I mean, it has been kicked and beaten and slapped from back in the days when it was just blogs and Google had Google Reader and they shut that down and it was popular. Google Reader was where you you had all your feeds and you subscribed to them and it was fantastic. And then Google went, no, 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 we can't control it. So we're going to shut that down. And they created Google Plus. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I remember Google and, Plus. Yeah. yeah. And Google, and you had to manage your circles. Right? I, it was so confusing. It was not user friendly, but no, I, I, I didn't so. understand what was happening. I was like, I thought we had an email account. Now we have this thing and it, what, what's social going media. On? It came off as like just a social media it, it, I didn't sort like of. It. Yeah. Platform. Well, you know, that Twitter started as a podcasting company, right? Yeah. It was audio. Only because I heard it from you. They were using RSS feeds, which again, when you centralize that, it sucks. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the fail well was because they were trying to do something that RSS was never designed to do. It wasn't designed to be just RSS feeds in one huge company. Um, so they had to completely, you know, I think they were the guys that pushed Ruby on rails the hardest at the time. And yeah. so they had to re-engineer everything. They probably re-engineered several times. I'm sure Musk has done yet more engineering. Yeah. Um, you know, so now social media is a whole, whole different beast. I mean, that's destroying culture. That's destroying right. lives. That's destroying, destroying minds. You know, it's like, put your helmet of salvation on everybody because social media is trying to rot your brain. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. have you heard and, of, uh, mm. I'm sorry, Basil, have you heard of the no idea of distributism or like the movement or the, it's kind of like a, an ideology, have you heard? Because it sounds very familiar to everything going on here. So um, if you hadn't heard of it, it's it's basically an idea that was shared by uh, early 20th century Catholics, G.K. Chesterton being the most popular. And he, and we're not Catholic, Basil and I aren't Catholic, we have some Catholic listeners, but him and... Hilaire Belloc came up with this idea called distributism, which, you know, some people think it's kind of like socialism, but it's not. It's not the redistribution of wealth as socialism or communism. It's more the redistribution or the distribution 
of the ways in which people make a living, like uh, not wealth, but um, advocating the redistribution of the means of production to as many people as it's possible. It's more of a decentralizing the means of production. Yeah. It's like, so, I'm so, running this down. Yeah. A, a cow and an acre, a cow and an acre is sort of the saying that every man deserves, you know, being born in this world, you, you are, uh, you know, whatever inherited to a, a cow and an acre to get your life going kind of thing. So it's more of that type of concept. And I think what this, this entire history you've been laying out for us here uh, shows your role in this sort of era of digital distributism. Not, I don't know that in, maybe in history it will be called that in the future, yeah. but uh, I think that's uh-huh. what it is because you're preserving the capability for anybody to participate in this broadcast system. And obviously the, the, the battle is amongst those who believe that is free and those who want to control the messaging. And that's sort of the ongoing battle that we've all been hit with here. And I don't know if you know, uh, Adam, but we, um, uh, I, I was a YouTuber since 2011. I was baptized in 2007, uh, got into all kinds of weird Bible stuff. And I was trying to jive the topic of aliens and and UFOs and all this stuff with the Bible very early. I was saved and everything. I'm like, okay, the words should explain everything. So tell me UFOs. What, what's all that about? And there wasn't a whole lot of people talking about that, especially in my community, local church, all that. I got a lot of cold shoulders or don't worry, just read this part of the Bible, not the whole thing, that, that kind of attitude. Um, and it wasn't until I found podcasts specifically podcasts. And at the time there, you know, it was a little bit, um, a little harder to find, but they were out there. These Christian podcasts, uh, I guess you could call them Godcasters, but they were talking about these issues that nobody in church was talking about. And that was your future quake, uh, PID radio. Those were some of the ones I came across in the, uh, 2009 ish. I think they were doing that kind of internet radio from about 2005, yeah, what's, 2006. What's the show I was just listening to? Hold on a second. It's, uh, Lord of Spirits. Lord of Spirits. Those guys, uh, Andrew Stephen Damick and Stephen DeYoung, they're the, actually the Land of Giants is the episode it's from 2020. It's the episode I've just been listening to about uh, Nephilim. <laughs> the dude, that's yeah. the craziest dude. part about our life in the past ten years. Guns uh, is ten years ago. We're talking about Nephilim. We're getting kicked out of churches for talking about <laughs> Nephilim, so we yeah. start podcasting about yeah. it. And uh, now Nephilim, man, it's everywhere. It's People everywhere, are on to it. It's all over the place. We accomplished the mission. Yeah. So um, my my YouTube channel got to, I published a documentary in 2011 called Age of Deceit, Fallen Angels and the New World Order, summarizing the research I had done for two, three years on the topic of aliens, UFOs, the New Age movement, and how it relates to the Bible and Bible prophecy. And I just published it for my own well-being. It was like, I have all this research in my head. I don't know what to do with it. I'm just going to publish this documentary. It's out there. It's on YouTube. Everyone can make films now on YouTube. So did that. And it, it just got popular on the internet, got to about 6 million views on my channel. There was many multiple millions more on across YouTube. Um, and then, you know, just made content over the next 10 years, commenting on things going on around the world, looking at how proud were your parents? Uh, (laughs) um, I think they, well, they just kept asking me how much money I was making. So I think their incentives are not aligned with the, uh, the mission there, but, but the the great commission, but uh, you know, that's, that's just my parents. They come from a different culture. You know, they, they're immigrants to America and things like that. So, 
Um, but yeah, uh, and then obviously Basil and I were talking, I think there's an episode in 2000, I think it was episode one. It might've been episode one where we actually said that, Hey, there's a global lockdown system type of thing planned. It could happen any certain ways, you know, and a pandemic is one of those things that's a possibility. And I know there were many other people talking about that kind of stuff back in the two well, thousands. Not and many, not many, then, but, but there's I mean, a few. There's a few, and and I'm sure podcasting has preserved all those who were talking about it at the time. Um, and so yeah, we go through that, and we we get to 2020, the lockdown. We, Basil and I go into hyper gear, publishing three times a week. You know, we're on for hours, just breaking everything down for people. And and, and this uh, is what what year now? We're we're at 2020 now. This is so post pandemic. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We get to 2021, the YouTube channel gets shut down for medical misinformation and cyberbullying yeah. and all this kind of stuff. I think it's racist. It's just Asian racism. Uh, you know, hate. funny enough, we actually used we, that one time. We, we said this was, we, we made the case that this is Asian hate. This is right when Biden was doing his Asian hate thing. And, and it, uh, worked. it worked. It worked. It worked one Got time. One time. I appealed the strike and they took away the strike because Gans was Asian. It worked once. Well, you, you used your, um, your diversity for I know. Good. I know. But then I think they, they red carded me or something. They're like, no, that's that, that bad Asian. That's that yeah. the not oh, good yeah. Asian. One chance. <laughs> yeah. Asians one, get one. One card. Yeah. So anyway, so that's been, and it was because of, it has been because of the value for value model that we've been able to sustain and do this. And, and obviously we, Basil and I have been very open about Hey, if we stop providing value, we will know. We will know and the show will die and we'll just move on to something else. So mm-hmm. um, just many thank yous to you for, for not just, you know, fighting for all that, but, uh, you know, continuing to press on because I know that oh. you can easily just kind of fall back into the background and say, hey, I did my part. Let me just sail off into the sunset. But uh, it seems like you're well, just chugging along. And what I love, and here I go, I can feel myself getting fired up. The thing about the value for value model is it's very, it's a very biblical concept and exactly. And as, you know, as now I think uh, your, your worldview now includes sort of a supernatural worldview, we're not necessarily fighting simply against other humans and the gatekeeping and the control mechanisms and the darkness that lie in the heart of man, but the principal yeah the principalities and the powers that are in control the bible tells us that you know we're not in control of this world principalities and powers are in control of this world and the principalities and powers the spirits behind advertising are so obviously out for their own interests their dark interests their supernatural interests and not out for the spirits of of man i mean the the very concept of logos being so closely relate, related to chaos magic sigils the very concept of selling the attention of the people who trust you and uh give you give us their attention for us to turn around and sell that for a bag of silver uh so they can have access to your mind and affect people and human enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world dark powers and pure evil in the universe exactly you guys you people you know this and so what's been so exciting about um being so uh, you know so engaged in the no agenda show and the message that you guys are putting out is sort of the overall messages of course is in recent times in your your faith journey coming to a place where you're speaking sort of 
uh, outwardly now about the bigger picture going on, the supernatural forces that are that you know we we come in contact with that rule our lives already, mm-hmm. and you know in order to break free of those things, we have to feel inconvenienced. We have to you know feel that it's a sacrifice to break away from the sort of easiness, the convenience of funding a podcast with advertising or giving your face scan away to unlock your phone so you don't have to put in your code, these types of things. Uh, but the value for value model, I mean, it's it's a spiritual war. I mean, it is it a, it is a weapon in sort of the mass spiritual war going on. And that and with that, someone learning about the value for value model and then making a personal choice to let it change their paradigm and that they they are now responsible for what media lives and what media dies. We're done handing that responsibility to literally evil corporations who have been in charge of, uh, you know, media surviving or dying for each and every single one of us taking responsibility for what media exists and what media doesn't exist. And a lot of people are feeling this paradigm change and they're loving it and they're feeling the freedom. But a lot of people, man, they are stuck. (laughs) They are still stuck. We literally have had people begging us to take advertiser dollars. So, you know, they don't have to listen to the producer segments and feel the guilt that comes with not participating or whatever it is. It's hard to stop the cash flow river, you know, it's, it, it's already moving so fast that it's just so, there. So, so th- for, you're hitting on the, this is for me, value for value is the most important thing. And to hear you even use the term value for value, which Dvorak and I have been using for 15, 16 years, fills my heart with joy because I come from a world where you have to be number one. You have to have the most. You, ha- it's, you always have to have the most viewers, the most captured, the most souls that you have to collect so that you can then hand them off to the advertiser. That is, and that's why charts exist and that's why statistics exist. And then from day one, we have never, we don't really even know how many supposed people supposedly listen to No Agenda. We don't right. know. We don't care. It was always, can I pay rent? Can you pay rent? Great show. That's what <laughs> yeah. it's been. It's always, yeah. it's always 100%. been that. And it is such a paradigm shift in your brain, particularly people coming from um, a traditional um, media background. It, it, they can't even wrap their head around it. You're begging for money. You're grifting. You're busking. No. I'm right. literally saying, take this. If you find any value in it, send it back to me. Now, we've used the three T's, time, talent, treasure. That I got mm-hmm. from my wife, who uh, is, by the way, she's on Faith Journey with me. We started it together. Um, she was, um, she's retired from corporate life, but she was a chief communications officer mm-hmm. at nonprofits for most of her professional career, most recently Ronald McDonald House Charities in Central Texas. And they use this term, time, talent, and treasure. How can you help us um, help these parents and these children? And of course, now I know that it's a biblical thing, time, talent, and treasure. 
So this mm-hmm. has been around for a long time and it is so honest. It is so, it is such a wonderful way of life because it really is life. I mean, you know, someone like, um, we moved out here two and a half years ago. Now we have three acres That's three, and three acres of pain. Cause you got to mow that. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm too old. I'm not going to sit on the mower. And so this kid who was with our septic guy says, Hey, you know, I want to start a business. I'm going to buy a mower. And, uh, would you be my first customer? I said, yes. And so he's out there eight hours. And, um, and, uh, and I say, well, how much do I owe? He says, well, I haven't really priced it out yet. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, this much. And I said, no, I'm going to give you this. It's more because that's value for value. That's what I feel is the value that you provided to me. And it blew him away. And, yeah. you know, just this whole, now it doesn't have to be that way everywhere. You don't have to go in a restaurant and say, well, I value this meal of this. You could, it would be great if restaurants did that. But for something as ephemeral as media, you know, it's just ones and zeros. I mean, mm-hmm. man, it's here, it's gone. It's, you know, it's say, maybe you save it. I don't know. Uh, but the value can only, I can't determine what someone else will take away from what I'm doing. It's very different for people. And for one person, it's like, man, I'm just filling my day. For another, it's like, oh, this is earth shattering. I learned something so good about the world around me or about myself. And 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 for me, five dollars is a lot of money. But I'm gonna. This is what I value this at. It's it's a high amount for me. That's just as appreciated. And of course, what I learned is this was the big takeaway: is there's people with a lot of money who think a thousand dollars is well worth what they're getting out of the show. Bam! Right. My head goes, what? I never expected that. And there's a lot of people who are like that. There's a lot of people with a lot of money. There's also a lot of people who will never give anything. And I love them just the same. They go out, they, they promote the show, um, you know, boots on the ground reports. These are all extremely valuable. It, it's all good. Time, talent, treasure. And somehow now, of course, the past year and a half, now I get it. Now I understand. I understand like, I used to always wonder why the MTV Music Awards, the rap guys would go. And I want to thank God for putting the lyrics into my head. You know, now I'm like, God, thank you for driving me towards putting the iPod and the RSS thing together. Thank you. Now, (laughs) thank you for putting me to put, thank you for putting Dave Jones in my life and me in his life. The perfect combination and by the way, he's been an important part of my, uh, of my faith journey. I mean, I woke up mm. one day and I looked around and went, oh, these guys are Christians. What's wrong with me? <laughs> what, am I, <laughs> what am I missing out on here? No one pushing yeah. anything on me, anything like that. And, and so once you get insight into that and once you understand uh, the Holy Spirit and how, how that works and the power of prayer, oh, man. I mean, that's when my – I am re, literally reborn. But, you know, reborn into a whole new path of life. I'm 59, but I, I'm excited about, you know, as my pastor would say, I'm running through the tape. I'm going to die spitting in this microphone. You know, I'm going to go all yeah. the way. There's a lot left to do. And I'm excited to see, you know, you guys, definitely a younger generation, picking it up and using it. And, 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 and you know, what got my attention it's all of a sudden there's people, there's producers showing up at No Agenda going, hey, you know, I love what you guys are doing. And they're, and they're tagging you in their, in their donation notes. I'm like, who are these dudes? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. And then I see this googly eye guy and some <laughs> VR thing. I'm like, mm, whatever. Uh, but, I, 
I actually started listening to the podcast. It's a little, a little more comfortable for me not to have to view anything. And just listening. <laughs> just listening. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were, we were audio. I'm not playing any of the jingles. I've only heard one jingle so far. Oh, what? I know. Uh, well, so I, I didn't want to interrupt too much. No, I know. Let me like, give you a roadmap. <laughs> let's let's talk roadmap real quick. Let's let's <laughs> podcast produce for a second. Uh, it's twelve thirty our time right now. When we were discussing, uh, you made yourself available to uh, till one, I think, or maybe not. I don't know exactly what the the time frame was. It's very important for us and everybody. Uh, to hear the story of how you came to Jesus, what that journey was like. Uh, it's very, because this is uh, obviously a very big deal for me, I could not miss the opportunity uh, to get into special interests. Mm -hmm. uh, your special interest, for instance, being OTG. You know, I think this is one of the beautiful thing about podcasting. Your OTG segments, something that's very important to you, something you're very interested, bringing it to the podcast and discussing it over and over. And even people who don't care kind of tend to start liking the, the OTG segments, things like this. Uh, we also have our versions of our special interests. Mine is called the Flippy Update, mm -hmm. uh, which is about specifically robotic arms and definitely sent me into a tizzy when the no agenda uh, character Zippy <laughs> came about. I was about to set up. Zippy! <laughs> See, Flippy doesn't have a, a voice. See, this is a big problem. Flippy's yeah. a little harder to broadcast. Uh, but it would be an honor if I could include you in a Flippy update before we oh, go. Yeah, let's do a Flippy update. And then, of course, Gons would like to come around and uh, make sure we get some Nephilim in. We gotta, gotta squeeze in Nephilim. Nephilim. It's, a, it's kind of a tradition around here to ask. We can have a guest about something completely different. And at the end, I'll be like, so what about them Nephilim? What do you think about those Nephilim? <laughs> <What> <laughs> so, about Nephilim? It's the, the awkward question. But uh, yeah, let's do, a, let's do a Flippy Update featuring Adam Curry. Flippy Update. Do you want fries with that? <laughs> Flippy That's right. Flippy. It's right, folks. It's time for the Flippy <laughs> update. Flippy is our colloquial name for the disembodied robot arms that are taking our jobs, enslaving our children, and flirting with our spouses. We use talking about Flippy as a way to explore all the new, fun, and exciting ways that robots are taking over the world. And now there's nothing we can do about it. Adam, today... Our Flippy update. Now, here's just, just a little update for you, Flippy. We, you know, on one hand, we like to uh, explore the different ridiculous robots coming about, but it's quickly turned into dissecting the sort of propaganda uh, that's coming down in order to convince the public to... Uh, feel about robots the way we're supposed to feel. That may include, you know, uh, humanizing them, talking about them as a person, uh, talking about future robot rights, and, you know, just exploring how the media talks about these robots, specifically robot arms. And there was a big story going around recently. I don't know if you saw it, it came across your, uh, came across your desk, your timeline, uh, but when a robot story gets so popular and viral and picked up, I think it's worth taking a look at for the Flippy update. So you ready? 
Okay, this one's coming from the BBC.com. The headline, Man Crushed to Death by Robot in South Korea. That's right. One more <laughs> one more body count for the robots, folks. It's not going down. It's only going up. Let's see what the BBC has to say about this. A man has been crushed to death by a robot in South Korea after it failed to differentiate him from the boxes of food it was handling, reports say. The incident occurred when the man, a robotics company employee in his 40s, I hope he's an employee, was inspecting the robot. The robotic arm confusing the man, for a box of vegetables, grabbed him and pushed his body against the conveyor belt, crushing his face and chest, South Korea news agency Yonhap said. Already a little bit more gruesome than I was expecting from the BBC, Adam. Does anything come to mind? What comes to mind for me is the other robot kills man uh, story, which was the cruise self-driving car in San Francisco. Yes. That that hit a guy that had already been hit and and dragged him along for 20 feet because it couldn't tell what he was. So yeah, these, uh, yeah. these robot these deaths. robot deaths somehow uh, are. Uh, they feel free to sort of report the most gruesome elements of like a toaster killing somebody. You know, we see gruesome elements when it's like some sort of shooter or right wing extremist or something like this, but to be sort of laying at the feet, the language like confusing or differentiating to a toaster. Uh, I don't know. It just makes me feel funny, Adam. Well, they what the well the media if it bleeds it leads. First of all, we have to agree mm-hmm. on that. So you mm-hmm. know, death and destruction is always uh, is always good uh, for media because that gets uh, that gets eyeballs and clicks. That's true. And we've been uh, psyoped into this belief, uh, which is translated into an executive order in America, and which is a global conversation about uh, artificial intelligence. And if we don't keep it in check, if we, the smartest rulers of technology in the world, if you don't give us all the powers, well, it could get out of control. It could kill more of you, just like that poor guy in Korea. I mean, that's right. that's what this is about. This is all, and it's and it's a very um, cynical operation from a bunch of jackoffs in Silicon Valley who have no story at the moment. They have no other story. Mm. So this so-called AI came out and, you know, it's what they're using. It's, it's the new blockchain. It's what they're using right. to raise money, to have reasons for existence. And when you get the government involved and whenever government puts regulation in place, granted an executive order is weak as, as regulation, but it's a start then you can solidify the incumbent's place in the marketplace. But there really isn't a marketplace yet. They're trying to build a market around something which inherently is just, I don't think it really is real. Yeah. I think that background is really important. The executive order, you got Google, you got all the biggest Silicon Valley companies coming together and sort of promoting the idea that the government needs to crack it down. Sort of. (laughs) They have huge meetings on television. It's all behind closed doors because, you know, we can't actually, oh, you could build a chemical weapon with AI. 
Right, yeah. right. And, you know, of course, this only serves those big companies because they already got their foot in the door. They're the robot people. They don't want anybody else getting into the robot game. So influencing regulation is like this crazy corporate tactic. And it seems like exactly right. The striking of fear. I mean, of course, we've always been afraid of robots. It's it's just in our blood. Inherently. <laughs> Yeah, but to to play on it only goes to uh, sort of bolster public, uh, you know, the gruesome details bolstering public support for for you know government crackdown. I think that's the key, my friend. Look at that. We got Adam Curry on the flippy update. Unstoppable, unstoppable <laughs> around here. Well, I'm I'm interested in hearing as someone with your hands on the technology developing and kind of going back to that distributism idea this has to be ultimately a question of who gets the hardware does it not i mean the ai stuff yes the you know the scripts and the algos and all that and yeah okay we need to monitor all that and you know you got to watermark your ai content and all that stuff but there's got to be some sort of play in terms of who gets the hardware i know taiwan we've talked about taiwan is part of that uh, whole process and stuff be but owned by the people yeah so the people will own the hardware well you know, there's, you know there's, I, there's a little piece of history here which is is not well known although you probably do understand this that um n- none of this was supposed to happen hmm. um but somebody jumped the gun before basically google was ready to do anything and i think they were years away from being ready for anything and what happened is meta released uh, one of the early uh, LLMs mm. um, in in open source. And so all the open source guys got a hold of it and were like, oh, this is interesting. And, you know, we had to immediately tamp that down because we can't have everybody else just running around creating AI type technology. You know, we have right. to we have to control that. And mm. so no sooner has this executive order been written than two of the main players in the AI is it could take over the world. I mean, Elon Musk, he's a real liar. He's a liar. He will, he will be, he will be punished for the lies about AI. Or if we don't keep it in check, it will, it will uh, ruin the world. Oh, okay. we have this the danger of AI is much greater. He will, he will have to pay for that somewhere down the line. But no sooner is the executive order written or he comes out with, Oh, here's a Grok. And then OpenAI, Sam Altman, comes out, oh, well, we're going to do an AI with an app store. So what, what, what is it? Is it something that's so dangerous that nobody can do it? Or is it just a joke, which Grok is clearly, you know, a tongue-in-cheek, um, you know, uh, non-woke version of a chatbot? OpenAI, right. back to the hardware, yeah. We're going to run the hardware. We'll have all this cloud stuff because we buy executive order, the only ones that are allowed to do it and check your LLMs and make sure that you're okay with the stuff you use. And then you do an app store. I'm telling you, this is a pipe dream. This is nothing's going to come. AI has been through what we call AI winters. Look it up. There's a wiki page. Mm-hmm. This happened throughout the last 30 years. Oh, artificial intelligence. And then it goes away. This just, it's the, it's the funding cycle. It's like, we need something that we're kind of saturated with the advertising. The advertising is going down. Um, you know, there's not a lot of growth. Blockchain didn't pan out. Um, although Bitcoin, I think is still the, you know, by far a, I think it's a gift, honestly. 
Uh, yeah. Everything else is is just uh, an also ran type thing, and it just didn't work. See FTX, and I think XRP and ETH and all these things they will have they'll have their FTX moments. Um, and uh, so Ooh. they, oh yeah, so they they move over to uh, AI, and the real AI that we have an issue with is artificial intimacy. That's that's what we're really suffering yeah. from. Mm. That will ruin the world. Artificial intimacy that are social networks, which are also just it's saturated. There's too many people aren't, you know, it's, there's not one place. Trump's no longer on, on Twitter, really. You know, it's like, so there's, it's, it's, it's falling by the wayside and people are, are, are spinning themselves up and, and shit posting and posting memes. And even on our own no agenda social, it just seems like an artificial intimacy. People aren't, getting together anymore. People aren't, this is why the church is so good. Yeah. Man, I, yeah. I finally ad adopted my schedule on Sundays. I get up at five 30 now so that I can do prep and then go to the early service. And I, I come home and then I'm energized. You know, I've seen people, I've been around people. We've worshiped together. Um, it just feels good. You know, God is in the room. This is what people, no agenda meetups are successful for this very reason. It's not biblical, but people need to be together. They need to have human energy. I mean, this is the simplest things. So artificial intimacy, that's our real problem. That's going to kill the world. Yeah. And I totally I, agree. Ultimately, totally the, agree. the hardware, I, I think these elite folks and led by certain principalities and powers, ultimately the hardware is us, right? They want to be able to. Hack into oh, our biology yeah. and just so store just every, wetware, yeah all right. the wetware stuff and interface yeah, yeah that gets into all the end times type of fun uh, fun stuff. Uh, he's back I, up. Yeah, I have <laughs> going uh, to the treasure chest. I have one of these. Ooh, what is Start this? Nine. So this is this is this is my future. This is I love this. Start Nine is a company. You know, you probably heard of Umbral. Mm -hmm. I use Umbral. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to right. reconnect it since yeah, I moved. So I have yeah. Umbrals as well, but these guys really decided to make a, a business out of it. The Start Nine, so they built an operating system, Start OS, and they they actually will sell it with hardware. So ah. it comes in a in complete little box, and it replaces all cloud services that you have that you had. They're getting from Silicon Valley, all of them. Wow. Anything you need, it, uh, except email. That's the only thing that they can't do. And there's a whole bunch of reasons we can do to get into that. But the uh, office, um, uh, working, you know, um, collaborations, file storage, serving files, um, all of your favorite apps, even, yes, I have seven, no, 10 large language models running on a, uh, an AI type system, which is really only good for two things. Because I've done a lot of experimentation and it's really good at writing code because it's made of code. So, it, you know, code is a language with rules. And funny enough, it's very good with biblical scripture. You yeah. can ask it to find scripture, to find concepts within scripture. You can, uh, I've worked with my pastor as a joke. So, okay, why don't you uh, write a sermon based upon these concepts and, and this, uh, um, and, and this, these pieces of scripture and it actually does a pretty good job. Everything dun, else. Dun, dun. It's the beginning of the end, folks. <laughs> <laughs> not really. I mean, not really. Um, yeah. As long as there is a, a well spiritually girded human there, uh, guiding the machine. The human. It's nothing without the human, but there's yeah. so much 
writing that has been done and ingested so much, you know, it's, it's the Bible, I think is still the most sold and read book in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it has that, it, it has those concepts and it has a lot of, and there's just so much written about it. Everything else I found is lame. It's just no good. It doesn't give good answers. Um, yeah. It's not, it's, it makes stuff up. You know, whoop de doo I still see pictures with people with six fingers. Give me a break. <laughs> well, the Nephilim are around, so, you know. Yeah, the, a, the AI is making Nephilim six-finger hands a everyday occurrence. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, Out, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of which, uh, let's – I would love to hear how uh, your faith – journey started? I mean, do you have a history with religion uh, or, you know, you obviously, the Lord put some good influences in your life here that yes. started making everything make sense, huh? Yes. Um, growing up, not really. My parents were Unitarian. That's the earliest remembrance I, ha I have. And we go to church and this is when I was six. I don't really remember much of that. But then we moved to the Netherlands and my parents hooked up with other Unitarians. And I, and I, you know, we get together once in a while on a Sunday. And what really turned me off was, you know, okay, all the Unitarian church that we, there's like just a group of expats. Uh, we got a really early one Sunday and drove for what seemed like hours to go up on this hill. And maybe there's 20, 25 people. And then we watched the sunrise and they played on a little cassette deck, Cat Stevens' Morning Has Broken which really broke my, my being able to listen to Cat Stevens ever again. The whole thing just saying, what is this? This is weird. No, 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 no. And so I've really had zero, zero religion in my life from that point on. Um, um, although I will say that um, I've known, you know, throughout the no agenda um, time frame. Very early on, people would uh, email me and say, um, I really like what you're doing, but you, could you please not take the Lord's name in vain? And so I, I stopped cussing. I, I've never really done that. So just out of courtesy, um, a lot of LDS people who would be no agenda supporters. Um, so I've always had respect, but really not, uh, not uh, been too involved. Um, mm. Tina, who we've been together eight years now, now she, I think she was, I know she was searching. She actually, um, when we just met, uh, she took me to uh, a service at Austin Stone, which was in, um, in Austin at the time. And she was searching. It really, it really wasn't right for either of us. Um, and then we came out to Fredericksburg, which all was driven by, by God. There's no doubt about it. Um, and we were both getting nudged. We could just feel certain things. For me, um, uh, so as I said, I was working with Dave Jones and Mo Fax, and there were more people around me, and and uh, and Texas Slim from the Beef Initiative, and you know, for, I'm always asking stuff it's like, "Oh, you're Christian, so is this revelation? You know, is that really like fire and brimstone? We're all going to die and get zapped up to heaven?" And or I'd say, "Do you think God is a is a person?" Um, and then I remember one night, Texas Slim, who's a real cowboy, ex-rodeo guy, is, you know, getting, trying to get people to eat healthy carnivore, just beef in general. And, um, and he was telling me about Jesus and he said to me, he said, oh man, Jesus was a badass outlaw. I'm like, oh, mm, I never yeah. heard this version. Uh, and so, you know, 
people would, so I'm just collecting stuff the same I would do about any other, any other thing I'm in topic I'm interested in. And at a certain point, uh, Dave Jones sent me a, a Substack by Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf, very elitist, um, left-wing, hoity-toity writer, uh, written several books, feminist, mm-hmm. uh, Jewish. And, uh, and she was talking about, and this is, this is right you know, in the pandemic period, how she saw these friends of hers at Upper East Side dinner parties who were just talking evilly about people you know, and, mm. and disregard for people. And, and she concluded for herself, I'm really abbreviating her work. It's not fair. She just, sure. she just released her book about it, which I'm, I'm about halfway through, which is come, which hits on all these topics. Um, and, and her conclusion was if, if there's such, she says, these people aren't evil, but there's evil in the world. And if there's such evil there, the, the evil has to be fighting against a counterforce, which has to be good. Um, God. And so I was just in my, you know, I've researched 9-11, moon landings, Nephilim. <laughs> I've researched a lot of stuff in my life. And, yeah, boy. and I went into uh, God and Jesus. I said, well, let me, let, let me take some time. Let me study up. And I was asking people and they would send me books, um, uh, evidence that demands a, a verdict, mm-hmm. um, just all kinds of other things. And I think I, two weeks and I went, that's it. It's real. There's no right. doubt about it. The story is real. Jesus is real. God is real. The Holy Spirit is real. And Tina had at this point, she was a little further than I was. She was already attending Bridge Church here in Fredericksburg. Um, and she was really kind of finding herself. But she was just going by herself. She really didn't know anybody there. Uh, and, you know, we, I think we, it was actually... Uh, she had, a friend of hers had told her about Bridge Church. We were supposed to go on vacation. Very rare because, you know, that I take one or two shows off, which rarely happens. Um, and our flight got canceled. It was like Monday morning, you know, like Saturday, no, Friday. Supposed to go Friday. We're in the car, 3.30 in the morning, flight canceled. It'll be rescheduled for tomorrow. We're supposed to go to Aruba. Back, we get in the, in the morning, just before we get in the car, 3.30, flight canceled. We can get you on a flight, you know, in two days. By that time, we're like, we're not going to go anywhere. So here we are on a Sunday. I'm always working on a Sunday. She says, let's go to church. Let's go to this church around the corner, which is um, um, St. Barnabas. And we went to this church and it was okay. It was actually kind of cool. But, you know, they were doing hymns and stuff. And so that really wasn't, really wasn't what we were looking for. And then Tina found Bridge Church. Uh, which is here in Fredericksburg, and she started attending. I was watching online, and it just grew. Our our faith just started to grow, and then uh, at a certain point, uh, we uh, we had a dinner with the past our pastor and his wife. They're both pastors at Bridge Church, and you know this is like a you know he's he's my age, maybe two years older, Pastor Jimmy, and he's a tatted guitar playing uh, pastor, you know, and but, and, but the positivity and the, just, it just all started to click for me. And I started praying and, and I saw the power of prayer 
And, you know, it's just been building ever since. And there's not every day. The first thing I do is I do not look at my phone for what's the latest news or what is pe- what has someone texted me or no, I go into the word of God. Um, I'll find uh, different uh, devotionals, um, you know, just something that'll trigger my interest. Tina is very structured. She's she's read through the whole Old Testament. She read through the New Testament, the Old Testament. She's going back to in the New Testament. Um, we talk about it um, at night. We'll sometimes read a psalm in bed. It's just it's grown from there, and wow. and the realization of how good it is to have God in your life. It's just been phenomenal. It really has been phenomenal. We even did a. Uh, a course together with several other couples here, which I mean, you, you, you ask old Adam, like, Hey, you want to do a marriage class? I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, buddy. You know, yeah, a, Christ, buddy. a Christ centered marriage. And it's really just been phenomenal for us. Uh. Uh, uh, all these, all these things have been great. And then uh, we were watching the chosen, which of course is by definition cool because it's a value for value donation based production. Um, and there's, and, and we were, we were watching the, one of the earlier episodes and it's, uh, Nicodemus and, um, and, you know, and he's, he's saying, well, how do I get re, how do I, how am I reborn? And, you know, he goes through this whole, this late night conversation he has with Jesus. And then in bed that night, he said, I, I'm ready. So it's time to be baptized. I'm ready to be baptized. Um, and so it's just been building from there. It's, and there's it's just so many. So many beautiful, wonderful people have come into our life, and I love our church family. We have international arms dealers. We have the craziest <laughs> people who are, who are Christians. Isn't that so awesome? I love that about and, you know, church. Just, but we all and, and and we support each other. You know, we really do, and we all have. Everyone's got family stuff, but it's so nice to. Um, to worship together, to, to, to pray for each other, to lift each other up, to do life together. It's really, it's really cool. And, you know, when, when our pastor, and this is what really connected for me. So our pastor's wife came over for dinner and, you know, we're like, oh, pastor, you know, it's like, oh, the pastor, we got, how do we act around him? And (laughs) I said, kind of by accident, I said, you know, I got to tell you, man, I really love your show. And he's like, and he starts cracking up. And she said, what, my show? I said, yeah, you got a show. You have a format. You got a band. You know, I'm sorry, worship team. That's Christian for band, apparently. You got a band. <laughs> they play music. You know, you do, you do 15 minutes of that. And then you, you know, then you do the uh, communion. And then you got this going on. So it's a whole format. I get it. I love it. It's really cool. And so we have really been able to learn from each other. And so it's been a great friendship just going back. You know, he... You know, this from a showbiz angle, in a way, you have a, a presentation level. Um, but of course, he's also my mentor in in so many things about uh, about God and the Word of God. And um, you know, it's uh, hey, kids, give it a shot. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is really incredible, man. It makes me. I know you can't see me because uh, this giant microphone in front of my face, but I'm just. Uh, cracking up i'm loving it man i mean it's such it's so refreshing to hear the story and honestly you know i was born into the church i've always been christian i don't even know what life is like outside of the church and uh it's given a good sort of uh, complexity because gons came to the lord in 20 2007 or so yeah and so we've had a great time sort of navigating like what it's like being in 
uh, the church for your whole life and then coming into it later and then using these perspectives to look at the world and stuff. And for me, listening to uh, No Agenda and then doing our own show, you know, it's fun because on one hand, we don't want to copy your content. That's not what it's about. You know, we have different perspectives and, you know, we cover different uh, topics at different times, things like that. And it's always a risk, you know, listening to the shows that you are, are similar to your own. Uh, and we always had, we always had it in the bag because even if we talk about the same story, we will bring up the sort of supernatural Christian worldview. And that's that's where we get to differentiate <laughs> a little bit. But now you're Christian, man, and we got to be, we got to find, make sure we, you know, stay out of your lane a little bit. But no, no you don't, it, you don't. It's it's funny because, um, so I I did my, my testimony on Rogan, which was really kind of scary and fun at the same time, but I, I had right. to do it, I had to do it. And, Incredible. That that invitation came at, of course, the right time, and um, I got I got millions of comments, of which I think five were negative, from Christians who told me, "Yeah, you're doing it the wrong way." Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, there's always there's always them. Yeah. yeah, but in general, it's just only been positive, and so many people who were like, I got a call yesterday. I had I was talking to um, Rudy Sarzo, Rudy Sarzo, bass player for. White Snake, Ozzy, Dio. Ooh. He's uh, currently on the road with. Um, uh, oh, he was with the Blue Oyster Cult, and now he's on the road. No, forgetting who he's on the road with now. Um, and you know, we hadn't spoken in fifteen years, maybe, because um, of course I I known him for a long time. And he says, man, you got baptized. It's so cool. I'm, I read my Bible every day. I'm like, you too, Rudy, really? Oh, this is just so many people that, that pop up. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, it's really been incredible to watch that trend. I mean, again, Gons and I starting doing what we're doing uh, over a decade ago now. And, you know, the vibe was like, ooh, we're undercover Christians. We're looking at aliens <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, the mission was, you know, always praying for, uh, you know, a revival, always praying for a culture, always the goal to be to, you know, no matter how small of impact we have to do our part to, you know, help people form and and maintain their supernatural worldview and also to glorify Jesus. And recent times has been really crazy because the world is so on fire and so <laughs> crazy, yet you see these mass movements towards Jesus. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that it's happening. Uh, the, there's epicenters everywhere. Um, there's a reason why I've been, I've been brought to Christ. There's, I can just see it. Uh, there is something, it's very analogous to the late sixties when it was a crazy time. We had messy wars, we had television, people were getting spun up. Um, the kids at the time, everyone had tried all the drugs, you know, and this yeah. happened in California. I mean, this is, this is actually Jesus revolution. Kelsey Grammer's movie right. mm -hmm. is exactly what I feel happening now. And we see our church here growing um, and we need, we need people to be bold. You know, that's the most important thing. Um, I, Cause I think there's been a, there's been a, 
a fear, a real fear uh, for people to speak up. And oh, yeah. so I can help by being bold myself. And now on no agenda, I mean, a lot of stuff just starts to come out. John and I have never really discussed this. Only, we don't really don't talk outside the show ever anyway. Um, yeah, we know the but feeling. He, knows, he, he, <laughs> he obviously knows and he calls himself a lapsed Catholic, which is kind of funny because I think that, you know, well, who knows where he's at. Sure. Um, I can see Rogan getting much closer. I pray for him almost every day. Um, you know, that's probably the, the scariest for him um, to, you know, because it's like he has scientists who come on and say, yeah, the Big Bang. Yeah, but the universe was still created from something. And and Joe will be like, well, isn't it? It could be some guy who created the multiverse. Uh, yeah. Right. And if only there were uh, like a, a manual or a book or something about <laughs> how you're supposed to live as a human. I'm like, who's going to tell Joe, you know, <laughs> yeah. how do we get him to the point where we say, dude, this kind of there. Um, so just being bold is important. Um, yeah, because it's so good. I mean, even our kids, none of them are Christians. Um, but it was so wonderful. My daughter, she's 33. She was over here, uh, visiting. She lives in the Netherlands. She came over for a week and, you know, she said, Hey, can I say prayers tonight at uh, dinner? Okay. And then she's, wow. you know, yeah, wow is right. Um, uh, my stepdaughter who's 26, you know, she says, uh, she was, She's in New York and she's looking for, she was looking for a job and she says, well, through him, anything is possible. Capital H like what, you know? So I just pray that some people come into their lives and, and shepherd them along. Um, yeah. and, but anyway, back to the, the revolution, it's just like people have tried all the drugs, man. It's not working, you know? And when I say drugs, I'm not talking about ecstasy and weed and all that. I'm talking about SSRIs and the SSRIs on top of the SSRIs, you know, it's not helping yeah. you, is it? It's not helping. It's not and helping. culture. I mean, culture itself is not working. You've got all these Gen Z guys, you know, who grew up in the social justice era and, you know, the, the uh, gender roles and all this, this whatever, quote unquote, freedom in the culture. And people, young people especially, are just finding it so empty and find it. Polls are showing, you know, they're, they're having less relationships. They're having less friendships. They're having less fun. They're having less uh, happiness, more depression, more anxiety. The culture that has risen up of the past 10 years and has raised the young generation does not work. And, you know, we try our best not to make, uh, you know, this show or our points or anything about culture war. We've, you know, that's Tim Poole's thing. We're not necessarily here to fight a culture war, but the culture is already at war. And right now, Jesus is winning. <laughs> well, we all, we already know how it ends up. We we already yeah. know that we win at the end. Yeah. Um, but the <clears throat> we went through a very dark period, which cannot be skipped over. Yeah. Evil locked down the world. It's not you know Democrats or Republicans or elites or whatever. Evil did this. Uh, evil took hold in like a giant milgram experiment, uh, and. The trauma that people have from this is very real, very much still there, and is being abused on a daily basis for financial, political means. The, the tree, it, the shaking has already been done. And, it, and now we just see what remains. Right. And, and the people who I think are strong in their faith and their belief 
will remain standing. All this other stuff, everything is, it's, it's, I, I can't, there's no other way to say it. It is evil. Hate the sin, not the sinner. Everything mm-hmm. that's going on in our world right now is from evil forces. And Jesus said this himself. I know he said it in Matthew 24 because it's read in my Bible. So that means he said it. Mm-hmm. And, and he literally said, you know, you will hear of war. There'll be wars and you'll hear of wars and kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation. Do not be alarmed. This is just part of the birthing pains. So, but it's not, you know, and this, the other side is if someone sends me another YouTube preacher talking about, um, Ezekiel 38 and 39, <laughs> and here we go. You can, we're going to the rapture is coming. Oh, man. No, I don't think so. Let's not get all spun up. See that? You know, but always yeah. be prepared. Always be ready. Always be faithful and be in your faith and in the word of God and, and try and live like Jesus, you know, um, and be kind and be gentle. Um, my personal thing that, you know, James 5, I think 3 was big for me, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to get angry. You know, these are things that, that I strive towards. Um, I'm trying to give up my right to be offended. And yeah. forgiveness is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Um, forgiveness and praying for our, for our, well, it says leaders, but I'll just say our representatives, praying for them. I mean, every day I pray that Joe Biden just breaks down and says, I'm incompetent and I'm corrupt. You know, I'm just hoping that, that he just says that one day. I pray, I pray that he just comes clean and I repent, whatever. You know, the pray good boldly. Irish Catholic boy. So, you know, this is what we this is what we need. And we and we need love in the world. And what we have now, and you can see the situation is spinning out of control. When you have the same people, the same age group who were psyoped into Black Lives Matter. And now are being psyoped into from the ocean to the sea, Palestine yeah. shall be free, which yeah. means elimination of Israel. If you look at the map, uh, right. they're now starting to talk about genocide, Joe. So it's working against them now. Evil yeah. has turned on the people who abused the evil forces and tried to control it, and it doesn't work that way. So right. we're coming towards a. Uh, we're starting to, you know, it's starting to accelerate. And stuff is going to change and people are going to going to change. I mean, there a great awakening is underway. I can feel it. Um, it, it may not seem like it, but media, it, it, we're consumed by it. It's a false idol in a way. Um, yeah. You know, we're consumed by by pictures, you know, by social media, by by status, by likes, by retweets. It's all going to fall apart. It's it's so obvious to me because I can see it. And people either spin out and and disappear or they just check out and say, no, no, this is not for me. I'm going to do something else. I got to find a real community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really incredible. I'm just losing it hearing you uh, speak this way. And if you'll allow me to just fanboy for one second, on one hand, I'm, I'm done fanboying, but this is just the truth. <laughs> and the truth in. is, the truth is that 
this entire revolution that you're talking about, you know, you, t- you talk about what made it possible. If it were not for podcasting, if it were not for the gatekeeperless uh, ability for people to talk, <clears throat> they've locked down the YouTubes, they've locked down the social medias, they've locked down the broadcast media, they've locked everything down. And if it were not for podcasting, and I mean people who listen to this show, they, they hear the tone in my voice and they, they know what's coming. If it literally were not for podcasting, and Adam, your role in podcasting, the world would look 100% different. If Godcasters were not able to speak freely and have people choose to tune in and listen to the message, this would never have happened without podcasting. And I feel so blessed that the technology exists because it has defined my entire life in ways that I did not think possible. Not just my job and what I do three or four times a week, but the way that I have connected. I mean, you talk about this simulated false intimacy that comes with social media, things like that. The communities that get built around podcasts and the the community that I feel when I listen to the podcasters that I have chosen to listen to. And of course, there's conversations to be had about sort of the pair of relationships between people and their favorite podcasters. We all know this. But podcasting has been literally instrumental in the revolution that we are seeing, not just culturally, but coming down from heaven. Uh, it is. It is really a tool that the Lord has used. And to see you, Adam, come to the Lord, it just brings everything full full circle because the Lord has been using you, whether you knew it or not. He's <laughs> using your podcasting. And, you know, to have you on the team is just a wonderful bonus. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm humbled by how he used me. I am truly humbled. And now I, I can connect the dots going back 30, 40 years. I see all the steps he – I had free will. And I see mm-hmm. where I misstepped. Um, I have no regrets that it was all came late for me. But now I, you know, with what the pieces that were, I I got the message uh, um, about two months ago. I was speaking at a uh, a conference um, for Godcasters, literally. Yeah. And uh, I was asked to do the keynote, and I really I want to tell these people. I don't really like doing conferences at all. And I got a download from heaven at 2.30 in the morning and the message was protect them, protect them. Mm. And, and I think that's really what, you know, what all the work that Dave and I are doing is protecting the system, protecting mm. podcasting where, where you hear you talk about um, uh, the, what was the term? Uh, distributionism. Dis- distributism. Yeah. We are, our job is to make podcast index go away. Our job is to make it so that it is either like DHT space or however it's distributed that we don't have to exist. That's literally what we're doing. And it will take a few years and, and we haven't quite found all the pieces yet. We found a lot of them um, and we're using them. And there's, and you know, this group of people, Christians and not, there's all kinds of people who've shown up Um they are, they're still there. It's been three years and they just keep, keep working on it. And it's the same 
the same concept. Of course, we do have value for value in which everybody's in the value flow, which I think is very important, was also just given to us as a, an idea and we were able to implement it. Uh, I think you're right. It, it's, there's something very important about it. Um, and he will guide us. He's guiding yeah. me. And so, I, you know, I, I don't plan too far. I mean, you don't, you're the, only the fool plans. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, next year I'll be doing this. No, 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 no. It'll be whatever God wants me to be doing. And I'm ready yeah. for it. I'm ready for all of it. Well, we definitely recognize what you're doing with Podcasting 2.0. We're enthusiastic about it. We Thank have you for supporting y- it. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we, we have yet to fully integrate with the system, but it is one of our priorities here coming up and, and, you know, as the new year. And we'd love to stay in touch and involved with the process as much as we can and be helpful in any way we can. Well, because- we need to get you on the, on the lit protocol. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. All the stuff, there all the go. protocols. We're doing it live we'll do it. already. I mean, we just need to add one little bit because uh, apps pop off alarms when we go live on no agenda. And it's the same app that you get the podcast in. So we need to get you guys on whatever you need. Uh, I'll yeah. be here to help. We need to get you guys on that. I appreciate that. I think that's essential for moving into the next phase of where the world is going. Yeah. Well, uh, I, uh, and I, speaking go, of the next mm-hmm. phase, Guns. Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I was just going to mention just to comment, I've been boiling up over here a lot, a lot yeah. to respond to with that, but, uh, with all the stuff you've mentioned, Adam, um, I did tweet out, it was still Twitter back then, back in February, um, how I was actually moved to tears listening to you talking on, uh, Joe Rogan and sharing your oh. faith there. So, uh, yeah, it was a big deal for, for all of us over here. I know many of us were praying for you, uh, for many years. So that, that's really I, cool no, I, thing. I got a lot of messages of people that said, man, I've been praying for you for 10 years. I'm like, wow, huh. that's so amazing. So I had crazy. no idea, of course. Yeah. So Thank crazy. You. And, uh, in, in, uh, my third documentary, age of deceit three, the subtitle was called remnants in the cyber hive earth. And the whole idea was how the church will look as we continue to live out in the, you know, technocracy and the technium rise and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that's been so profound for me is biblical prophecy, biblical eschatology more specifically. I feel like the phrase Bible prophecy has been politicized a little too much, especially recent days. Well, there's a lot of eschatology going on right now, right. which may, which, you know, is maybe a bit much for me. But. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, 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 and I, I appreciated your take on some of, you know, through the lens of culture and everything, uh, seeing the, uh, the establishment within the church as well. Basil and I, you know, we, we do, we've followed the model of the late Dr. Mike Heiser. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Michael Heiser. He was a, he's an author. You'd love it biblical scholar, uh, ancient Near East linguist. So he was literally studying Old Testament Hebrew. He's the guy who took every yod and tittle of the Old Testament from the manuscripts and connected it to a huge database for, you know, all the stuff you can do now. So he, he did the, the dirty work and he has a book called Unseen Realm that uh, I think you should read at some point. Um, and he passed away last, I think it was last year. Has it been a year since... Mike has passed away. I think so. Yeah, he was a really good friend of the show. That is crazy. But he had this approach to everything where you can kind of sit in the uncomfortable middle of the the sort of not being sure about how to interpret certain things. And I appreciated that approach because so many people are so gung-ho about their interpretation. And if you're not, then, you know, if you're not agreeing with this interpretation, then you must be part of the evil that is on the other side. And so it's, it's really 
profound to me that you come coming at this from where you have, you see how that thing, the same system exists in the so-called church as well, you know, with the entanglement with government and everything else throughout the last hundred years or so. It's, it's pretty profound to, to see. Um, but I also think moving forward, eschatology will become a more sort of objective approach to eschatology will become very important in Christian apologetics. The idea of supernaturalism being at the forefront of that. And I think you're really just on point with that because in the last like 20, 30 years, and this is just my observation, uh, I studied sociology in college. So I kind of look at things through a sociological lens and you had the new atheism rise in like the nineties. It was like the four horsemen of atheism is like the stitching or not stitching, uh, Christopher Hitchens and uh, Dawkins Sam and those guys, Sam Harris. Yeah. And those guys all came to the forefront, made these arguments, these strong academic scholarly arguments against theism. And the, the Christian apologetics philosophy departments around the world demolished their arguments. I'm sorry to say you read some of the responses in the last 15, 20 years, they were demolished by the theists. Well, but, but even, even the scientists like That's, Stephen yeah. C. Meyer, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Miller. Um, he's like, you know, he's, he's like, I'm a scientist and, um, and here's how the universe works. And, you know, if we look at a gene, we look at a single cell, it's a computer, it's, it's intelligent design. Mm -hmm. And my conclusion as a scientist is that was God. End of story. Now, when you get guys <laughs> like that on Rogan, I'm like, what more do you need? You know, <laughs> if you fought over the science, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, what's fascinating to me is all these passages that are eschatological in nature about whether it be the mark of the beast or the thing that fascinated me was the image of the beast, because it talks about, you know, the, the first commentator of the book of revelation is a guy named Victorinus. I think it was third century. And he talked about how, Oh yeah, the image of the beast, it's going to be the statue that comes to life and it'll rule people and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, that sounds kind of like a robot. Um, and with AI and everything happening now, all these prophecies that seemed ridiculous for hundreds of years, it was like, Oh, this is all allegory. This is, Madness. This is just a, the crazy the rantings of a madman, uh, a prisoner on the island of Patmos. But now with, with the advent of technology, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Most people read the Mark of the Beast stuff and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're pretty much there. You know, <laughs> we're kind of building it. You know, we're helping it establish yeah, itself. That's CBDCs. That's CBDCs. Uh, yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. yeah well, and I, I'm not saying that that is going to happen in, in that in that exact way. And I've been very well, clear CBDCs about that. CBDCs will happen. That's for sure. Well, CBDCs, but remember, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in my, in my worldview and my supernatural worldview, Bitcoin was given to us by God. That's very interesting. Yeah. I've been, that I've been a big time Bitcoin there's a, there's guy for a while. There's even a book called Thank God for Bitcoin, which is yep. worth reading. Yeah, I think, uh, yes. And I think Pastor Coin uh, on X, we've been communicating with him. We might have a conversation with him coming up here. But yeah, yeah. that's something I did notice as well. Lots of Bitcoiners Christians, they, they seem to share some similar values. Um, it is, well, they literally understand value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a deep understanding of what value is, which, which makes it so, so inherently beautiful. Mm -hmm. But the whole, just the whole story of, of Bitcoin and um, Satoshi Nakamoto, you know, wherever, whatever he was, is them word. It's, mm -hmm. it's almost, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can just see it happening. Um, yeah. and I'm a strong believer in it. So 
you know, yeah, CBDCs, will it be the mark of the beast? Maybe, but I don't think we're there yet because I don't all think so I either. see is Bitcoin being the perfect antidote to that. <clears throat> yeah, it but is. Yeah. Going to take levers to, to create these alternate pathways for people to travel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of lead up to that whole mark. I mean, there, you know, you, we don't have to get into timelines and studies of all that, but there, there's stuff that leads up well, to that point. And uh, by the way, mm -hmm. just so Adam has the perspective here, we are infamous skeptics of yeah. people who say they have figured out the oh, mark we, of the beast. We, yeah, we've gotten the, a lot of slack. People, people whatever. have been very upset well, at us well, for not happened, saying the vaccine you know, is the mark of the beast. I was talking to Pastor Jimmy about this, you know, eschatology, et cetera, and, mm -hmm. and, these, and these millions of views on YouTube and, um, and you know, fire and brimstone guys. And, you know, we are living right now in the end times, people. And he says, you know, it's really narcissistic. He says that what they're doing there is they're drawing attention to themselves when really the idea is always be prepared, always be working right. towards the day yeah. when the Lord returns, always. Yeah. But to sit there and go, trumpets are next. You know, it, yeah, it, timeline setting. Helpful. And, the whole, and the whole point of even, you know, Jesus didn't know. He says, yeah, I don't only my father knows when this is going to happen. But the whole right. point was you because you're going to be working in the field with some other dude and you're going to get zapped up and he's going to stay, you know. And so it's it, it, it's a waste of time in my mind at this moment, the way where I am in my 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 walk of faith. It seems like a waste of time to even have to worry about it. This I need we need more believers, right. more followers. Um, uh, th shoving it down people's throats don't work. So if it's a start, let it be with me. Let me tell people how it's worked for me and what it's doing for me in my life. And the key, I think you, uh, you mentioned it. The key is how are you living your life on a day-to-day -day basis? Every answer to what if the beast system is tomorrow or what, you know, mark of the beast is tomorrow. What if Jesus is coming back? What if apocalypse is starting? The answer to any of those questions is live your life now as though it's happening. You know it's going to happen, mm -hmm. so you live you live your life in a way now. And that was it's been a fun part for me recently, Adam, because uh, I too recently moved out of the big city and off the grid and doing the thing. And I'm sitting out here. I almost died earlier this uh, year from a complicated appendicitis. And I had that moment of, am I living my life right? And I kind of looked around and I'm like, yeah, this is pretty much where I'd want to be if Jesus came back. <laughs> I think we're, think we're doing it. Yeah. Um, I have to ask the Nephilim. question. I know, I know. I have to ask about the Nephilim. You said you studied it, so you might well, have some I, thoughts. I've, I've been studying it. Um, I do not have, look, I can see what it says in mm -hmm. the Bible. I can, mm -hmm. I can see where it talks about, you know, the, the giants and, and, and they were making children with the, uh, with the females on earth at the time. Um, I, I really, uh, I'm not anywhere near being able to have any you were on mtv adam you saw the musicians <laughs> with six fingers how in the world did they play guitar that that way in the 80s 
Stop covering for the Nephilim. <laughs> they were Jesus freaks, man. That's how they did it. They just didn't tell anybody about it. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of those. There seems to be a lot of those. Yeah, you know, the, the, again, just a, a topic that fascinated me. And I feel, and this is just my personal opinion, has tremendous explanatory power. Uh, pe- people in our little niche talk about it like, uh, what, what do we say? We say the Genesis 6 paradigm. Because it's, yeah. it shapes mm. a lot of how we understand things are, especially some of the supernatural stuff. But, um, you know, it is yeah. disputed well, amongst the church, you know, people throughout history. But uh, it's related. It's related to the technocra- uh, technocratism that we are experiencing, because within the Genesis 6 paradigm, uh, you know, you're you're studying Noah's flood and why exactly Noah's flood happened. Because the, you know, the Sunday school version is that people were mean. People Everybody were mean. Was mean. So and God so said, God away was, with you. A big right. flood. But that's uh, not quite. But some interesting scholarly and academic, you know, Christian work into the into the times and into the topic, you know, has some interesting implications for you know perhaps the uh, the the technology of the time was at a point where it could uh break some very specific rules that god has tampering yeah, just, with dna yeah well, here, disrupt. just before i forget because th- i'm yeah. new to all this so i may sure, just, sure. i'm just yapping here love it so god God promised us, gave a covenant. He said, I'll never flood the land again, the world again. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and he gave us the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for that very symbol to be picked up mm-hmm. by the LGBTQ, and here it comes, pride movement, mm-hmm. that says mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. Right. Pride is like, right. it's like the numero uno sin. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And and to hijack the rainbow with that is like it can't to me it can't be any more clear yeah. what is going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. You start to see all those things tied into you know modern culture in many different ways. But yeah, the the uh, the narrative goes and briefly how the the sons of God. It says sons of God. It's Beneha Elohim in the Hebrew, and uh, it's confusing because sons of God is used for believers in the new testament so a lot of times the translation in english confuses people in the old testament hey why are there believers in genesis 6 i thought that didn't happen till that's a whole thing but there are other passages like in job where beneha elohim is used and they're clearly angels hanging out with god in the throne room and satan's with them and and the whole thing so clearly they are not humans because it says the daughters of men they saw the daughters of men and that they were beautiful and if you look at the hebrew there it's daughters of Adam, it's daughters of Adam. So it's, it's, you know, there's a Sethite theory that these are just two, you know, the believers bloodline versus the non-believers. But I, you know, that marriage happens a lot now and we don't see humongous giants being born. So I think <laughs> something else is going on there, but um, yeah. And then also, also have to be 120. It's like, I want that to come back. <laughs> you know, I think uh, they're trying to figure that out. Yeah. But, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, we can get into Tamim. The reason why Noah was picked was, Yes, he was righteous, but the, it says he was blameless. You look at the Hebrew word there, tamim, and it means blameless like a blameless sacrificial lamb, for example. So yeah. what was, why so was like he pure? How, he was He was uncorrupted. uncorrupted being mm. Perhaps in a more genetic sense than people might want to feel comfortable with, you know, thinking about. Um, and then you, we think about Noah's life. We have the flood, and then we have 350 years after, which many people have shown that 
Noah was alive during the Tower of Babel. That whole incident, climbing up to heaven, taking out God, that whole plan, he was around. The world is under one language and all that stuff, which is, again, seems to be unfolding today. And the thing that really put the nail in the coffin for me with all this stuff was Jesus in Matthew 24 talking about how in the days, uh, so upon my return, it will be as the days of Noah. And people have sort of, sort of dismissed it as like, ah, yeah, people are marrying and they, people don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, boom, Jesus comes back. But then you think about, wait, what was going on in the days of Noah? Let's just look at the, the days of Noah. Well, the flood, the Tower of Babel. And then you look around now and you're going, we got genetic engineering. We were in the biohack generation. We uh, were mixing with animals and all kinds of stuff. We've probably been doing that in some island somewhere for, you know, 100 plus years. Uh, we are living in a situation where surveillance has become a much more pervasive part of everybody's lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about, uh, I'm working on a documentary now about, uh, it's the subtitle of age of deceit Four. it's called, uh, um, the, uh, oh gosh, I'm completely blanking on my own documentary subtitle. <laughs> um, okay. Where was it? Uh, well, it's about the counterfeit ledger of life. And so you have the book of life and then we have what we're trying to build. The surveillance apparatus is this counterfeit ledger for everything, everybody's actions. And so I, I see all these parallels happening. And to me, it's just fascinating that we, and I'm not saying, Hey, this is the end the end's coming up. You know, once uh, Netanyahu, uh, you know, declares himself King of Israel or something. And he starts flying in the air in a UFO. Uh, hey, he's back. Jesus uh, is back. It's, it was it's, BB all along or something. I'm, I'm not, saying any of that but no. i just think we're in a different it's and a very interesting time it's an invitation to include you know the the biblical historical uh, uh text and worldview into how we interact with the world today yeah uh, because that's i think that's a question a lot of people are asking you know there's a lot going on there's a lot of scary stuff but from surveillance to control to globalism and putting it in the context of what we've seen before uh, it, it, you know, when we have a word for it, when we have a vision for what's happening, uh, we're much more able to navigate it, navigate it in a healthy and godly way, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so it's not so just, uh, so stay tuned, Adam, <laughs> for all this and more. Yeah. It's, it's the basic <laughs> instructions before leaving earth. I'm sure you've heard that acronym for the Bible. Um, and it seems yes. to apply from yes. everything from your relationships all the way to what's going on behind closed doors. So, well, I, I look forward to picking this up on the next time I come on, uh, if I'm invited back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But you're saying those magic words. <laughs> <laughs> I would enjoy that very much. Um, and, uh, I actually have to go now because I have people showing up in half an hour. Yeah, that's perfect. a good, good reason. This this was really sort of a dream come true, Adam. We really appreciate yeah, your time. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> You've been so gracious and generous with your uh, telling of your history and your uh, your inner life when it comes to finding the Lord. And we just really appreciate what you do. We appreciate what you have done what you do and what you're working on for the future. And yes, if you would uh, find yourself feeling generous again, we would absolutely love to have you back on the show. 
We'll do that for sure. And um, and I want everyone who is listening slash watching to support you guys. Um, if you get value out of this podcast, then send it to them. You know how to do that. And um, thank you for, for carrying the value for value flag, the podcasting flag, and the Jesus flag forward. <laughs> it's very important. And I feel like uh, um, I feel good that I've been able to contribute to that. Thank wow. you. Yeah. I appreciate that appreciate very it. much. We got a lot of flags around here, folks. You know this. And make sure to check out Adam Curry everywhere. I mean, the No Agenda show, of course, on podcasting, but uh, you, Google it. You got a lot <laughs> of uh, fun stuff going on, Adam. If there was anything specific that you want to pitch before you go, I want to give you a chance to do that. Go Yes, go to podcastapps.com. Get yourself a modern podcast app. That's there it. You there you go. That's the revolution, folks. That's the <laughs> next stage of the revolution. You've seen how far podcasts have got us so far, and uh, that's what's going to bring podcasts into the next generation. Gatekeep proof speech. It's uh, it's something we all care about. Adam Curry, thank you one more time. We're going to uh, – don't go, folks. Stick around. We're going to be thanking producers after we say goodbye to uh, Adam Curry, and we'll be finishing out the show. But, Adam, really appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. My pleasure, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. All there right. you go. Thank you, Adam. Okay. Appreciate it. All right. Bye. Well, there you go, folks. It happened. It, it happened. finally happened. That's the, the happiest day in Canary Cry history <laughs> without the, uh, of course, excluding the uh, birth of the samurai ninjas, or I'm sorry, the, the baby samurai princess, and of course, the samurai prince over there in the Gonzo Shimura household. Uh, but uh, here's the thing. The show's not over yet. Let's um, take a second and thank some producers, Gons. Uh, what do you say? Let's do it. Um, yeah. Interesting transition here. Executive producers. That's right. You heard it, folks. We're on the value for value model, which means this show is only possible because of the participation of the producers. And those producers are you getting involved with your time, your talent, or your treasure. We're going to start out thanking some executive producers who come in with a hundred bucks or more uh, to support this show, to keep it going for all of you. It's not just Gons and I thinking. Uh, these people and thanking God for these people, but uh, you should do the same. So uh, let's start it out. Gons, what do you say? Sure. You guys got to fix your, your face on the fix live stream. Fix my face. Fix, fix my <laughs> face. Make me look pretty, Gons, while I scroll. I'm having fix. some trouble in the metaverse here. Basil's scrolling. Face. Next yeah. time we have Adam on, we'll talk more about VR podcasting. For those who don't know, Adam is, as you can kind of tell, sort of historically uh, skeptical about technology. Yeah. Um, however, that just puts more weight when he does see the possibilities in something. And VR podcasting, he has talked about this before. And as the sort of, well, the podfather, to have him see the potential in VR podcasting, my lot in life was very, uh, very encouraging. And I hope to be talking to Adam more about VR podcasting in the future. Mm. Uh, but here's your executive producers for the day, folks. Ready, guns? Mm, almost. Hold on. Okay. Yeah.
Almost. Almost. <laughs> it's okay. I can stall and talk about VR podcasting no, no, all no. day long. We're good. We're good. I think. Yeah, okay. we're good to go. Okay. Here we go. Uh, we're starting the executive producers out with the one, the only, you know him, you love him. It's Sir Executive Producer, Sir LX Protocol V2, Night of the Brian Protocol, coming in for a hundred bucks and 33 cents. There it is. Yeah, he's on a 233 episode streak and a 29 episode executive producer streak. He's almost at that 33. Streakalicious. I promise we'll have some sort of celebration when you get to 33 executive producer streaks, Sir Alex Protocol. Thank you. Thank Next you. up, we have Sir Marty Kane out of the oh. wrong timeline came Hold in. Hold on. Sir, Sir Alex Protocol, right? Yes? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. No, Sorry. I, I feel like my connection. Second, but... Oh, okay. Where'd you find this? There we go. There we go. Okay, getting back in the flow, folks. Yeah. Next up, we got Sir Marty K, Knight of the Wrong Timeline. Thank you, Sir Marty K. Yeah, coming in for a hundred bucks and one cent. Ooh. Making sure that uh, to let us know that he is okay with us disclosing that amount, throwing that one cent on there. Thank you very much, Sir Marty K. He's on a five-episode streak. And the only note I saw from him was he sent in a note that said, I just saw your banks tech are getting or got hammered. Remember to always have some cash laying around. Yours truly, Sir Marty K. What bank tech got hammered recently? Uh, bank of America. There's a couple other banks. Oh, the that, payments. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's some okay. stuff that the, down. The uh, auto deposits got messed up. Yeah, oh, no, I thought I thought it just was uh, signs of what's to come, folks. Rumblings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's there's some stuff happening with the banks still. And maybe maybe yeah. why you know Bitcoin is around for a time such as these. Yeah, who knows? If mm -hmm. God didn't give it to us, He certainly can use it for His glory. Amen. Uh, next up, okay. These next couple are nope. fun and wonderful, and I want to thank them. We have executive producer Jimmy M. Jimmy M. Thank you very much. Yeah, Jimmy M came in for 333.33333. All right. Me Mega Illuminati. Mega Illuminati. And here's the explanation. Uh, he was sending this in, not to necessarily get an executive producership, but to make up. He was one of the 44 supply drop redliners who had been getting free supply drops uh, during <laughs> the year. Uh -huh. And he he says, this shall not do and I shall make up the difference for all the supply drops that I missed. So this is what he's doing. He's he's a man of honor. He's a man of of uh, nobility, and we really appreciate it. So that oh. three 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 is ten months worth of supply drop uh, support that he that wasn't getting transferred. Yeah, the more I do the math on my bad job tracking the supply drops. The more I'm realizing it costs us thousands of dollars, not hundreds <laughs> of dollars. So it's okay. Lessons learned, folks. Yep. This is why we don't do retail. Uh, but he sent a note here to the other 43 CCNT supply redliners who received the drops and didn't pay, need to step up and take care of our podcasters. Basil and Gantz are a blessing to all of us in this crazy upside down, non spinning stationary earth. <laughs> here is my makeup treasure. 
Ah. Thank you very much, Jimmy M. Thank you, Jimmy M. Where'd you find this? Again, I will reiterate, it's not anybody's fault. It's my fault. And making up for, you know, depending on how much you have to make up to catch up, that that could be an impossible sum for people. So uh, I don't want to shame anybody who isn't able to do what Jimmy M did, but I am endlessly grateful for Jimmy M coming in, supporting the show. Yep. Thank you. And along the same lines, we have executive producer Dwight B. Hey, Dwight B. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to skip his amount uh, because it doesn't matter. He didn't actually have a choice in it because he says, not really producing an episode per se, just making up for all the misapplied drop t-shirt council payments. Sorry for the hassle. Oh. No, I'm sorry for the hassle, Dwight B. I'm sorry to everybody. Uh, so thank you very much. He's catching up, but we're giving him an executive producership for it. Yeah. Awesome. Where'd you find this? Thank you, Dwight B. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Oh, I see we have two nightings for today. Okay. Um, you know, Paul G, let's, we're giving him an executive producership. Okay. Because he paid... Yes. The No Agenda Show for your PhD. Yes, he did. Media Deconstruction, which is very mm. nice of him. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that's okay. I had a couple of episodes where I got to brag about my education and Guns <laughs> just had to sit and listen. But now we're peers. We're peers once again, Guns. Two PhDs running a podcast now. And we're, I mean, just tell your friends. There's, that's two a big deal. <laughs> it's one thing to have one PhD. Yeah. It's another thing to have two PhDs podcasting together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he sent a note. I'm not sure how much of it he meant to be read, uh, but he congratulated me on my PhD and was uh, said he was well-deserved. Thank you. Uh, and he says, Gans, you were an integral part of my education. The first two YouTube channels I discovered back in the early days were the vigilant Christian Mario and Face Like the Sun. Gans, your many hours spent in the en- editing booth have not gone unnoticed since you were the first one to mention no agenda during a solo episode of ccnt not sure if that's historical but okay (laughs) after which i started listening i felt it was fitting to bestow upon you your own phd in media construction and that happened yesterday yeah it did yeah yeah that's awesome really cool to listen to and it was cool to listen to as you heard adam uh mention that canary cry people who are on board with the V for V model have produced no agenda. And that's really good for us, especially when you write a note that mentions us <laughs> because look, you could give us that money and that's great. We do need that to happen, <laughs> but it's also very rewarding for us for you to produce no agenda and say, Hey, I came from Canary Cry Newstock. Those guys are awesome. And sort of, you know, pitch our show. That's also extremely valuable to us. Uh, so thank you, Paul G for that. He says, yeah. I also have achieved knighthood. He mm-hmm. sent his accounting and uh, we will be knighting you later on in this show. He says, thank you for all you guys do. Keep up the good work. And again, congratulations to both of you on your PhDs. And by the way, he uh, has a PS here. Can you spot me, bro? Our family is kind of going through a tough time right now. Spot on, Paul. Spot, spot on, on, Paul. And we are excited to knight you during the show. Uh, 
Yep. Where'd you find okay. this? By the way, did you hear John C. Dvorak for the probably, I don't know, 15th or 20th time? Just have no it idea who we are. It's so, so funny. funny. <laughs> oh, I should have. We should have mentioned that to we Adam. Yes, there's it, a yeah. funny running joke because our name has come out the mouths of both Adam and John about a dozen times at this point. And every <laughs> single time. John is like, never heard of it. <laughs> Can you hear it cry? Don't That's know. weird. I don't know what that means. Is it a show? Like, is this, what is it, a podcast? What is it? <laughs> how many times? How many times does he have to say it? I almost it? made a okay. montage, but I, I figured I'd spend my time doing something else more doing important more yeah, than proper looking for montages of John C. Dvorak not remembering us. No, that's okay. But that's, it's fun. We're not, we're not offended by that, but it is a good reason to keep getting John to read our name. It is. So, num- no, yeah, it yeah. is number one to see if, when he'll crack, but also I feel like we have completed half our mission. You know, now we got to get John C. Dvorak that's on true. the show. We got to get him on the show. Yeah. Okay, moving on. We got a few more producers who came in under the executive producer amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, Jimmy M. We're going to be knighting Jimmy M. Did we knight Jimmy M. last time? Do you remember? I do not remember. I don't remember it is, either. It's hard for me to remember. It's a lot hard these for days. me to remember. Yeah. Can, well, I we might look. be double knighting Jimmy M., but we'll Jimmy, be doing that as well. well Jimmy M. is uh, not on okay. the list. The last night I believe we had was Sir Spears' Night of the Desert. Yeah, and we had, uh, I believe, Sir Jacob. Did we get Sir Jacob? Sir Jacob, Jacob Highline Haas, and Night yes. of the Desert. Yeah, okay. that was back in 666, right. though. Yeah, that was a while yeah. ago. Well, our next producer is Sir Jacob, Night of the Highline Haas. Hey. Or, <laughs> hey! Is that it? Is that I don't the know. name? Sir Jacob, yeah, yeah. Highline Haas and Night of the Iskar Pursuit. It's a car pursuit. Yes, that's what it is. Thank you, Sir Jacob. Comes in with 3333. There it is. Illuminatus! Says, uh, my apologies for not sending my accounting in for my knighthood. Ah, yeah, no problem. He sent in his uh, accounting for his knighthood. Uh, he says, P.S. Been sharing Burning Man episode with all the pastors in my life. Hey, Hallelujah. Good stuff. Thank you very good much. Stuff. And just to mention, I was just on uh, Fire Theft Radio, which is kind of in the Canary Cry family mm-hmm. of podcasts. They started their podcast in response to us uh, doing our podcast for some time there. Uh, so go check them out. Uh, they got uh, uh, new hosts. You got Mav and Chuck over there. And uh, I went on there, talked about Burning Man and some other stuff. Go listen to it. Cool. Uh, thank you very much, Sir Jacob. Sir Jacob, thank you very much. <clears throat> Next up, we got Sir Darren, Knight of the Hungry Panda. Hey, Sir Darren. He came in for $16.40. He said for CCR episode 164. Have a great Ah. day. And that is the first time that we have ever mentioned out loud CCR episode 164. So for those who listen to the- That's true. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize it. Yeah. For the podcast listeners, the RSS feed listeners, the OGs, they got the Ireland episode published on Friday. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of people who just watch the show on YouTube and the streaming services. For you folks, you will be uh, waiting until the 22nd of November. So the 22nd of November, we will be streaming the uh, 
the Ireland episode. We hope you like it. It turned out great. Gons did an incredible job. Um, and uh, there you go. So you can go listen to the podcast version, or if you want to watch the video that Gons puts together, uh, it'll be streaming the day before Thanksgiving. There you go. Okay. Uh, Sir Darren also came in for this episode. Uh, right. For CCR 165. <laughs> yeah, there he is. 165 for for today's episode with Adam Curry. Thank you oh, very you much, go. Sir Darren Thank Adeline Groupando. Thank you. Appreciate it. We've got a little bit of a shakeup today. Producer Veronica D came Ooh. in above the 777 mark. Hey. Uh, 327 episodes in a row. Oh, 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 yeah. Streak delicious. And a note. That says, please have the producers pray for me. I've been having some health problems. Okay, mm. hit it. Pray Hit those pray producers. Pray producers, assemble! That's right, folks. Around the world, the pray producers are assembling. That's you, people who are committed to praying for the show, praying about the show, praying for the producers of the show, praying for our sanity. Those are the pray producers. Thank you very much, uh, Veronica D. Please have the pray producers pray for me. I've been having some health problems, but I trust that God will get me through this. Pray producers, put it on your list or drop to your knees right now. We're praying for Veronica D's health. It's been a staple of the producer segment for so, so long. Yep. We're praying for you, Veronica D. Yep, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Uh, other than that, we that concludes the list of financial producers who came in above the $7.77 mark. We got a few under that, and we'll thank them real quick. Starting with Malik W., 38 episodes in a row. Malik W. Thank you very much. Sir Morv, now to the Burning Chariots, 297 in a row. Thank you, Sir Morv. I shouldn't have played the jingle no, thing, the streaker thing. Yeah. You wait, trigger mm-hmm. finger guns. We got Doctor Who Done That, 27 episodes in a row. Thank you, Doctor Who Done That. Ooh, Doctor Who Done That hit the firmament. Oh, yeah. Give it to him. Mm, okay. I know we have still not shattered that highest and hardest glass ceiling, but someday someone will. There you go. You've joined the illustrious group of Firmament Busters. I feel like we did that already. He might be on 28, but there you go. Double jingle. Next up, we got Sir Scott, Knight of Truth, 351 episodes in a row. Thank you, Sir Scott. Thank you. We got Dame Gale, Canary Whisper, and Lady of X's and O's, 322 in a row. Ooh, thank you, three, Dame Gale. 322. Ooh. And of course, Rounding it out, we've got Sir Casey the Shield Knight. Sir Casey the Shield Knight. Wow. 366 plus one. 367 in a row. Wow. There you Thank go. you very much. Thank that you. concludes our list of financial producers who have come in and supported the show. Remember, value for value. It's a paradigm shift. It's not just generosity to keep this podcast going but it is a lifestyle change that is helping all these producers here they are working not just on keeping the show alive 
but working on disconnecting the, their financial mindset from the idea that corporations solely are the ones who, uh, through the powers of mind control and sigil magic, keep media alive. This is all of us taking responsibility, and we appreciate them very much. If you're interested in producing the show, go to canarycry.support. Canary. All right, let's uh, we got some more producers to thank real quick here, but we're going to do a quick speak pipe. Are you okay with ah, that? Yes. Please leave a message after the tone, 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 tone. At the tone, please record your message. Leave a message. Go to canarycrynewstalk.com. Go to the green tab on the right side of the bottom. It'll allow you to record a message of up to 90 seconds, an audio message, and we shall play it for the people. Uh, we do have something that we should have played Friday, and I think we yes. maybe should have played it at the beginning. Maybe we'll play it again at the beginning of next episode, just so in case anyone misses it, because we're playing kind of late here. But it's a message from uh, Sir. You're talking about the Isaac. Ike. Yes. Let's move Is- Let's move Sir Ike to Wednesday. Okay. Got it. Okay. All right. All yeah. Right. Yeah. We need. We need, it needs to be a whole thing. Sorry, okay. Ike, for putting it off one more time. We forgot to give him a warning about Friday, uh, but it's a big message. I want to play it at the top. Got it. Okay. Well, okay. then we have uh, Silly Goose Elder Dave. Serious Goose. Hi guys. Serious Goose Elder Dave here. Oh, serious. I want to extend my thanks to Basil for uh, extending me the invitation to vent my hate here. <laughs> oh, Although it's here not directly on him, but he is responsible for these geese nicks following me around. But my hate is directed toward the media. I despise the media for two reasons. The terms gun violence and assault weapon. Guns kill people the way cars are in jail for homicide and assault weapons. There's no such thing as assault weapon. Oh, no, excuse me. They're all assault weapons. Assault is a verb. It's not a personal pronoun like, she's the finest shotgun I ever had. <laughs> so the misappropriation of the language drives me nuts. To a point where I can't express myself properly. But a pen or a screwdriver can be an assault weapon. There's no such thing as an assault rifle. They're all assault weapons. There. Now I'm going to calm down and I love you and God love you and for that, have a nice day. Gotta love. I love that occasionally we get to be an outlet for boomer rage. I really appreciate <laughs> it. And I had never thought about that, actually. Yeah, the whole assault weapons uh, propaganda, that's just pronouns for objects. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So wise. So wise. Serious Goose Elder Dave. Thank you for the message. Thank you for that. And uh, we shall thank some producers coming in with their talent. Let's do that. We're going to thank yeah, let's some do it, bro. audio producers. Audio Productions.
It's always important to help us build the culture behind the community here at Canary Cry Newstock. And as we've seen with so many movements around the world, art is important. Art has always been yes. important to uh, express, uh, have visuals and identifiers and symbols that represent a movement or a people or a cause. And you know, certainly we have our own unique flavor here at Canary Cry Newstock. And it's because of all of you who decide to give value back to the show with your talent. And we're going to start off uh, thanking little Owen. Little Owen came in with, uh, let's see, I don't think little Owen has been attaching notes to these recently. I think his note just said, oh, wait, hold on. Let me double check it. Uh, yeah. Praise the Lord. Okay. Praise the Lord. And he has a song here. I'll play a few seconds. We'll play the, f the full track at the end of the episode. Three minutes and 10 seconds. Let's hear a little bit of it here now. good love it i think we get at least a comment every time we have a little owen track playing at the end asking you know who is yeah. that whose whose song is that where can i find that track so little yeah owen, little owen has to send us a link or something see if he has a spotify or something yeah 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 people are asking for your music there little owen thank you very much for that uh we have something from jonathan f jonathan f and Jonathan F's note. Uh, <laughs> Vladimir still begging for the sweet, sweet petrodollar funds. Financial support okay, please. Support okay, please. <laughs> that's very funny that is very funny that was a funny that was a kind of a sad moment I would say for Zelensky obviously yeah. we didn't talk about it but he's kind I, of begging it, for it money re I really did sort of pity him <laughs> wasn't it sad yeah I thought it was yeah, it, was it was like it was actually bad. kind of sad yeah and I like the part where he's like oh, just use the Russian the Russian money just use that come on you guys have a bunch of Russian money <laughs> All Give right. us credit. We'll pay you we'll back. Pay you back Give us credit. Oh, oh, so good. You got to beg for credit. <laughs> That's a problem. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. When a guy's saying, begging for money and saying he'll pay you back after the war. Mm. It's <laughs> never a good sign. Ouch. Yeah. Never a good sign. Yeah. All right. That. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thank F. you, Jonathan F. Here we got something else from Marty B. Where's my Marty B intro jingle that I always lose? And then I always have to be shown again that he has one. I know. Ah, where'd it go? Darn it. Oh, I'm really upset that I can't. You've got to harness the power. I know. That's, it's like that's one thing I wanted to. with those jingles, guns. And you do your best. Yeah. You do your best. Well, I, I wanted to you? maybe dig into that with Adam Curry a little bit, but we didn't have the time. to. Next time. Next time. Marty B came in and has a note here. Sorry, I've been out of it for a while. Would you use this for the Sir Casey bumper? See, I. 
we've been using this Sir Casey bumper. I don't know if it's yeah, new. I, I think he just, I think he just improved it in his way. You know how these little sonic, are. sonic improvements. Here it is. I hear it now. So there's like uh, more of a melodic strum. Now the basses, I think, is the same. It's more of the uh, there's like a a ringing chord or something that plays. I think maybe the bass is a little bit more fiddly. Maybe a bit. Ba- I bass think he added some fiddly. some walking fingers on that bass. Whatever yeah, the case, can play both. This is a muddy jingle. <laughs> there's the we'll, jingle. we'll play the old one. And here's the new one. It's definitely a different mix. It is a different mix. You can hear it is some definitely of the a different mix. The bass comes out crisper. I th- it sounds much better. We'll use it. We'll use it. You yeah. did a good thing. We got Thank it. you, Marty B. Thank you, Marty B. Uh, let's see. I have one coming for the Berean master of all streaks guy. Why oh, hasn't Marty B says anyone done bass. Uh, for him or her? We, we do have the, the uh, Sir Alex protocol V2, uh, jingle now. We, we've been using it for a little while. Not, not a little while, maybe on a few weeks here. Um, and then, but we welcome another one, Marty B and stay tuned for a new smash hit with a bullet onward Christian soldiers. It's not a cover. I just Love borrowed it. the title. Would you please play Lil Owen's newest song and the great reset at the end mix? Yes. We shall play sure. for the great reset. I there think maybe I had uh, disappeared for a second, but oh. uh, Marty B in the chat says fretless bass. Ah, there you go. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Thank you very much, Marty B. Appreciate it. Let's do art. One art, please. <laughs> and of course, our artist, Sir Dove, Knight of Arspeltia. One art piece from Dove. And this duo drawing is so fantastic. He has a note here. Peace. Yeah. This week's Bible artwork. I di- oh, that's not the note. Did I not update the note in here? Apparently I did not. Okay. Well, let me make sure I read the correct note, which says... Oh, Jonathan F. came in with a bunch of new stuff. Peace. For today's artwork, I made another thumbnail duo illustration. Hope you guys like it. Keep doing what you're doing. I'll keep praying for ends. Love it. This is great. This appears on today's episode's thumbnail. We love having these thumbnails go in. And just know that this is an encouragement to all the artists, even the children out there. If you want a way to really help out the show, we need a new version of Gons and I for every thumbnail. It's science. And so even if you're a child, draw a Basil, draw a Gons, send it in. No matter what you do, who you are, go to canarycry.art to upload it. But here we have a great one. Uh, in the background is sort of the fog of war and a medieval battle. You see some guys, some spears, some helmets, the, the fog, the sun just shining through the fog. And in the foreground here, we've got the googly-eyed Viking canary and the samurai guns. Very nice. The, uh, the <laughs> Viking, Viking basil <laughs> looks absolutely fantastic and ludicrous. Uh, but 
This seems like it was modeled after a video game. I can't remember what the video game is, but it's a, a Viking with blue face paint with some two uh, two hand axes, one in each hand, some very specific Viking armor. Very well done. A uh, little detail. We do have my appendix scar yeah. on the Viking there looking very very battle worn, mm -hmm. very cool. We've also got uh looks like the red outlining of a googly eyed basil with a googly eyed cat on my head, uh on the sort of girdle, the girded <laughs> what would be that called? It's the like belt the belt of truth. but you know build the belt of truth right that must be from a former piece it looks very familiar thank you sir duff for that the gons samurai you've got your uh <laughs> your praying hands samurai helmet that. on that is which is very hilarious. good yeah very good you're holding your oh you know what above your head there he has the kuyo kuyo uh symbol which is the if you that see that is the, the Shimura symbol, isn't it? It's well, it's from my mom's side, so it's not the Shimura name, but it's oh. yeah, my mother's side, the samurai family side. So, yes, that, ah. that is the crest that, that my samurai ancestors wore in battle. Whoa, very meaningful. Thank you mm -hmm. very much. I don't know if the googly eyed basil with the cat on the head is exactly what my Viking ancestors uh, <laughs> would have identified themselves with, however, Vikings famously. Were really into cats. They had a cat on every ship, and it was customary for the man to give the woman a kitten on their wedding day. So, very big deal. All right. Thank you very much, Sir Dove. <clears throat> That's it for the visual art, correct? That is it. We do have okay. some microfiction, I believe. I think Wrong Smash came okay. in with some new ones here that he did. Did you put in the update. new one into the document? Uh, yes. I got I it. I did. Okay. Just did it. Just did it. Okay, here we go. Microfiction. Microfiction. Wrong smash. Wrong smash. Mom, what happened to Dad? Asked the younger of the two samurai to the regal lady standing in the doorway of the pantry. Her expression changes from stern frustration to a wistful sadness as she remembers the end of the good times. She sighs deeply. Oh, we've got a, we've got a gone storyline going on. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Can't wait. Thank you very much, Rung Smash. <laughs> Thank you, Rung Smash. All right, we got another one from... Do we have one from Stephanus? A new yep. one? Stefan S. Oh, I can't remember. No, no, no. This was the one from last time. This was the one from last time, right? That's what I thought. I didn't think yeah, I yeah. saw a new one from Stefan S. Double check it. It was risky enough for us to read it the first time. That's true. <laughs> that's true. We don't need to double it up. Okay. Thank you, Stefan S. I think that's for it. Your previous producership. Yeah. All right. There you go. Look at all these great producers coming in with their time, their talent, or their treasure. They are a part of the paradigm shift. They are an integral uh, part of what has caused the most important cultural shifts over the last 10 years. That is podcasting. And now, 
As we've seen podcasting, there has been attempt after attempt to co-op it, especially using the sigil magic, the mind control of advertisers. But here we say no longer shall corporations be in charge of uh, life and death for pieces of media. It's all of us banding together to make it work. Coming in with your time, your talent, your treasure. Go to canarycry.support to learn more. Uh, or if you want to send in your art, you can go to canarycry.art. That's a URL, not an email address. Canarycry.art to upload your art to the show. And if you have an article you'd like us to take a look at uh, to put on the show, you can go to canarycry.report. These are all very easy, folks, very easy ways to get involved. And if you're not getting involved, you're missing out on like a big portion of the fun. And with that, gone. so do you have anything you wanted to say before I – are we doing some sort of wrap-up or – I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm past my time, so there's that. Yeah. Yeah, you need to go pick up babies. Um, yeah, things But here's what I will say. I want to thank everybody from everybody who's ever produced since the first episode in 2012 until now. This has been, uh, you know, and some of you might feel like maybe this was a little bit of a self-indulgent episode, and that's okay. This was a big, a big uh, cathartic experience for Gons and I here. This is sort of a culmination uh, of our 11 years now of podcasting. So we thank you for indulging us or letting us indulge ourselves. Uh, but we hope you saw some value in it. There's some big shifts happening. Uh, Adam Curry was a, is continues to be a big part of those shifts, and we are we can all feel it. All of us feel it. We are moving into a new chapter of uh, what the future looks like. And so, it really, truly, this is not just a slogan. This is not just a sort of sweet words. It is literally up to every one of us. Uh, to participate in in whatever the future looks like. And you can participate in it either by participating in independent value for value, or you can participate by staying a part of the former system. Uh, that would be really convenient to the powers that be, staying a part of the former system, trusting the powers uh, to create the new system, absolving yourself of responsibility for the whatever the new system looks like. That would be the easy way out. So everybody who produces this show in whatever way they do, they are not only helping the show live, but they are making a statement, a statement to the powers, the principalities, the air that are uh, currently ruling the earth that uh, we will not go silently into whatever next phase of, of darkness that uh, they have planned. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, anything to say, Gons, before we thank the no, last people on I mean, head I, out? I, I second all that. And yeah, it's been, it's been quite the journey so far. I'm sure we will see ebbs and flows as time goes on. And maybe, you know, we're maybe due for a little, a little pump. You know, it's been, it's been quite though. No, no. I'm talking about our sentiment, this podcast. podcast. Oh yeah. It's, we've got, it's been a bumpy, it's been a bumpy year, but it's been really a bumpy three years of uh, a lot of volatility, I would say. And, um, but that's not always a bad thing. You know, the volatility gave us, uh, uh, probably helped us get in front of a lot of new people in the last few years. And so we appreciate you if you're new and if you've been around for a long time, then, Hey, yeah. 
come come back for more. We're always around and we'll just keep going until the Lord says to stop. So until we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and even treading water uh, in a way is just preparing for whatever's coming next. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you got to stay alive to uh, experience whatever the next part of the plan is. Don't get don't get too high. Don't get too high on the highs and don't get too low on the lows. You just got to stay stay right. Right in that middle, that pocket. There you go. Right. So thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Uh, yes. Real quick, I want to thank the Clippies. Thank you, Clippies. Thanks. That's right. Go follow the Canary Cry Clips channel on YouTube and Odyssey. And if you're someone with even the most basic video clipping skills, send us an email. Get in touch. We'd uh, love to put you to work so you can start producing the show. Uh, and that's only possible because of the timestampers. Oh, no. Here we go. Timestamp. It's hard work. Timestamp. Yep. And I want to thank a producer, Morgan E., for, I think, what, is, what episode is this? I don't even know. 688. This is 688. Of, yeah, CCNT, okay. technically, yeah. Do we know who did timestamps for 687? I believe it was either Jade Bouncerson or yeah. Morgan E. And I'm looking at it right oh, now. you think looking- so? You think it was either one <laughs> or the other timestamper we have? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Pretty good guess. Jade Bouncerson. Jade Bouncerson. Yes. Thank you so much, Jade Bouncerson, for doing the timestamps for episode 687. Yep. It's an invaluable resource and goes into so much of our back-end processes. Thank you to Jam for the links. Thank you, Clank, for clanking. And other than that, folks, share the show. Share it with friends. Share it with your family. Share it with Aunt Sharon. Yeah. And uh, here's the thing. Establish you that. put on mm-hmm. your, your, uh, your social media. You can do whatever you want. But you can also share it in a new, exciting way that shows your skills, your independence, your uh, your the beauty that God has put inside you. You can use that all to share the show. And what a better way to share the show than to start another podcast. Start a podcast, make it the Canary Cry <laughs> fan cast, send it out to all your friends. Uh, Canary Cry fan cast is certain <laughs> to be a successful show in one way or another. Breakdown, uh, what post game yeah. breakdowns? It's what we're missing. Here's the thing I, we, but I have started many side podcasts. And uh-huh. trust me, I get it's difficult to start a podcast, it's difficult uh, to start it from scratch. It's difficult to when you don't have an audience already. But if somebody were to start a Canary Cry fan cast, you better believe we would be pitching that <laughs> podcast every single episode. It's it's low hanging fruit, folks. If somebody wanted to start podcasting and start the Canary Cry fan cast, trust <laughs> me, you will have at least an automatic audience of like 30 people, which it took Gons and I like a year to get to 30 people. So you get yeah. a little bump. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. it needs, maybe a group can get together and do it, manage it through the Discord or something. Just saying, there you go. just saying, folks. That's one way you can share the show. You can share it any way you want. But other than that, <clears throat> we call it rattling cages. And all you got to do is walk right up to him, grab him by the cage, and then you shake it. The end of the world occurred pretty much as we had predicted. I want to shake things up, stir up some controversy, rattle a few cages. Hey, stop that. Don't ever silence me. I'm the last angry man 
a crusader for the little guy. Leave the bird alone. Never. Gradle a few cages. Gradle a few cages. The human race will have every opportunity to improve. And if they don't? Ask Noah. That's right. Just ask Noah. Gons, you got any last words? Uh, I don't know. We did it, Basil. We we got Adam Curry on the show. We it did. happens. It's a big deal for us. Thank you, folks. Yeah, thank, thank you, you to everybody here. who's supported us over the years, and we will continue to do our thing. But it's kind of nice to say thank you to the the man who's <laughs> I, I, you know even more responsible for what we're doing than I even realized. Like I knew he was responsible for influencing me and you and stuff, but no, more. I was struck. I yeah. was struck during my rant about just how specifically that man is responsible for what's going on in our lives. I mean, obviously, pretty much all of our lives, since all of our lives is this podcast now, except for your children <laughs> and such. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's weird. It's weird that there's a single human being that you can credit for, like, the actual life you live day to day that is it's rare it is rare yeah maybe this is similar i was gonna say this is similar to maybe like the pope like 700 years ago right yeah something like that like everybody has to go to the pope (laughs) excuse me thanks everybody for tuning in to this episode of canary cry news talk make sure to tune in next time but until then think outside the cage armageddon's on the way Remember, reality is an illusion. The universe is a hologram. Buy gold. Bye!
lifted right up for the great reset. For the great reset. Hiding in the shadows, he's always behind the scenes. He's holding on the first string. He's got control of everything. He's got the solutions to the problems that he created. So sit right up for the great reset. For the great reset. He serves his master with fervor. He's a Luciferian. Bound up and determined to bring us to an end. It's the final solution. Destroy the human race. So we'll cry right up to the great reset. To the great reset.